People of the internet, welcome to a new episode of The Light. I'm Scott Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by the ever-unpredictable Detron Edwards and the mythical John L. Fellas, what's up? What's good? Yeah, yeah. Log on. Mr. Big Man. Hold up. Oh, who is this? <laughs> who is this? Yeah, this this is Peter. Peter? How, yeah, how? Peter. Oh, where's that? Where is that from? Yeah, I have a song come. This is Peter. Okay. And what relation are you to Peter? And honestly, you got to forgive me. My translation of Jamaican Patois is terrible. So if you could speak a little slowly, maybe we can, you know, get some communication going. Yeah, yeah, Rupo, yeah. Why y'all know? Why y'all know? So, what, I mean, what do you do? What are you going to do for us here? So, like I said, my name's, yeah, they, they might call me Peter, right? You know, I tell you, they might, they might call me Peter because back when, when you know, I was a picnic in my mama's bed, you know, my father and my mother, they went to a local corner store and they, they went for something to eat. And when they went in there, they, they were at the counter and they asked for something to eat and then a dread walked through the door and he looked upon my father's face and he said, you. He said, Jesus Christ have 12 disciples. <laughs> which, which one the bad man? And my father looked at him with a screw face and he said, yo, no, nah, dread, me not, me not know, which one? And the dread man looked back upon his face and said, Peter, Peter the bad man. So ever since then, my father, you know, called me Peter and tell me, you know, Peter, you're the bad man. So when I'm out now and I'm driving my car, they call it, the ghost Peter. And I sit up there and I see my house. My house is called Castle Peter. And I sit up there and I, you know, when I mash up the girl, them call me King Peter, you know, yeah, rah, 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 King Peter. <laughs> King Peter. So, so he told me I could come, come on the radio and, and give a little expression of, uh, of myself. Okay. So, okay. so you mind? Nah, not at all. Not at all. All right, all right. Yeah, second down, second down, you know. Proud to be black, me said I'm proud to be black, black. Proud to be black, me said I'm proud to be black. Follow me, I'm proud to be black, me said I'm proud to be black, black. Proud to be black, me said I'm proud to be black. Muhammad Ali make me proud to be black. John Bonzi make me proud to be black. Marcus Garvey make me proud to be black. And James Brown make me proud to be black. But there are some black people who not say them black and brown. Like the little girl Sally that me know from back home. She was one of the girls in the northern area. She was a nice looker. Me tap up on her shoulder and ask her for a date. She said, no, thank you. I'm going out with Raja. And I only date guys who have white collar. Same night, her and the guy them called Raja. Go to the club called Tropicana. At the door was two big bouncer. One looked like Big Daddy, the famous wrestler. He said, you can come in, Mike, but not that nigga. We don't want their sort, they're troublemakers. Next day, she come cry on my shoulder. I said, woman, go away, I said, be proud of your color. Proud to be black, me said, I'm proud to be black, black. Proud to be black, me said, I'm proud to be black. Follow me, I'm proud to be black, me said, I'm proud to be black, black. Proud to be black, me said, I'm proud to be black. Come down, selector, yeah, yeah, rock. Yeah, I like that. That was hot. That was hot. So you definitely are talented. You can come back to the show anytime. Anytime. Uh, look, look for the album come out in the future. And you say, yo, Long Peter. Long Peter. That's that's the name of the album. Long Peter. All right, I got you. I got you. Wow, I'm actually shocked I understood every word you said. 
Give me this mic, man. Damn. All y'all always trying to get it on, trying to do something wrong. <laughs> that, man, that, I don't know what's going on with you, man. I can't with you, man. I can't. Man. Get a lock, man. L-O-C-K. That's the word of the week for you. Get a lock. <laughs> he said he was going to put me in shouters 12, man. I, I, I said I want to be down. <laughs> he said... He said I could Come be on, one, of, I could one of the big boys in, in Shadows. So, I, you know, I said I was going to be down. Damn, yo. Come on, man. We got to do better, man. We got to do better. Yeah, I'm almost I'm almost scared to turn your mic on now, man. I'm telling you, we're going to put you on a 10-second delay. Last week it was five seconds. Now it was 10 seconds, man. Oh, you know what, though? He's not he's not as bad as my uncle. He's not he's not as bad as uh, Sugarfoot. And JL just all he wants is donations. <laughs> so it's not that it's not that bad. It's you know what I'm saying he and plus he spit for y'all. So well yeah. I'm yeah, well, you know, he, I mean he tried, he tried. I'm gonna keep it real. He has skills though. He has skills. He definitely has skills that. But this is our shit, man. This ain't this ain't Peter's shit. Well listen, as long as he ain't hey. stop at the end and just yell like just give me the light. <laughs> 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 it is good. Yeah, so what's been up, Deb? What's going on, man? How was your week? Chilling, man. My week was all right. You know, I'm trying to get away from this bug. I'm, I'm feeling a little bug coming along. But, uh, you know, as the entertainment business goes, it, there's no stopping us even if we get sick. You you can only get sick for 20 minutes in the entertainment business, and you got to keep it moving. Yeah, man. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I got to do to keep it moving. I'm enjoying uh, the feedback on the site. I'm mm-hmm. enjoying the personal feedback I get from friends and those people that actually know me and inbox me and or call me or text me and stuff like that so i'm enjoying all of that and uh i got some, a lot of people asking me like yo can you come out and do my room or you know can you stop by and do a couple minutes tonight or this night and yeah, i'm enjoying it so let's so, see you know the, the, the success of the show is working out good <laughs> i'm glad man i mean you got you got november 29th it's coming up real fast i mean that's real big yeah, yeah. Most of, well, let's say this. I look at it like JB used to do, like JB Smooth. I, you know, get off stage. I'm not gonna go up there and say, "Oh, I killed it. I did this. I did that." I'm gonna ask the crowd, "How'd I do?" The mythical, the diabolical John L. How was your week, man? What's going on with you? Everything's good, Scott. Everything's good. Week was good, man. Loving what's going on on the Facebook page. Loving what's going on on the other social media sites. The Twitter page is crazy. Mm-hmm. The Instagram page is steadily growing. You know what I mean? We definitely want to see some more of that love out on that Instagram page. Get at us at the Light Podcast out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we talked about a T-shirt giveaway. And I really appreciate all the response that we re- that we did receive. You know what I mean? We got a couple of cool entries. We got one from, um, and please forgive me if I mess up your name. It's not intentional. It's just that, you know, some of these phonetics just don't uh, flow well with this Pittsburgh 412 slang. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, we say yins, y'all say y'all, you know. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, Yanni Gamez. Yanni Gamez is, uh, let me just refresh everyone what the uh, T-shirt giveaway was. It was name your favorite scene from any of the movies and uh, that we reviewed. And as everyone remembers, probably my favorite scene was uh, Beach Street Battle at, at the Roxy. Um, and Yanni Gamez, that's the one that he picked. Uh, you know, the African Bam and the Soul Sonic Force plus Shango performance is also a personal favorite he threw in there. You know, he said, I was already a fan uh, from Planet Rock and looking for the uh, perfect beat, and this topped it for me. So, Yanni Gamez, I mean, great insight, great insight. But I got to say, the winner got to go to David Klopek. 
um, and and it's for the scene and for his explanation of the scene. Um, because you know, hip hop is in you. You're either hip hop or you're not. But he said uh, his his favorite scene was from the movie Wild Style, and he said his favorite scene in the movie Wild Style is Flash cutting and scratching in the kitchen with Fab Five Freddy. Why? Because it's Flash cutting and scratching in the kitchen with Fab Five Freddy. <laughs> to the cake. Yeah. There it is, man. And there it is, man. You, you can't get any more hip-hop than Grandmaster Flash cutting and scratching in the kitchen <laughs> with Fab Five Freddy in the kitchen. Cooking it up. Cooking and, and well, it up. That was a good answer. It was original. Oh, wow. That was an original. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. Yeah. uh, David Klopak, uh, you know, hit us on the uh, Facebook, the Light Podcast, instant message with your address or your work address, wherever you feel comfortable sending this uh, T-shirt to you. Hit us also with your size. And uh, if you want to order another T-shirt, go right ahead. You can do that on the uh, the Light Podcast webpage, mm-hmm. www.lightpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. The uh, order link is already up there, ready to go. So we want to see those orders start coming in. And David, we ask one thing of you when you get the T-shirt. Thank you very much for posting uh, your answer. But we also ask that you post the picture to the to the uh, Light Podcast page on Facebook when you get your t-shirt in your t-shirt if you don't mind the reason why is we, we just like to show how diverse hip-hop is it has turned into such a global phenomenon that who that hip-hop is now its own culture you know hip-hop has tied together i think our our you know racial divide to a certain degree i think it helped build and bridge a lot of uh gaps it helped give a lot of perspective to a lot of people so by all means, please, David Klopak, post a picture of you in the Light Podcast shirt to the uh, podcast page. We'd like to see it. Most definitely. John, what was that uh, the other dude's name that you, you did honorable mention for? Yanni Gamez. And I'll spell that just in case I'm pronouncing it wrong. And that's Y-O-N-E-G-A-M-E-Z. Yanni Gamez. All right. Yanni we have some uh, some other shirts that'll be coming out soon. Uh, Uncle Uncle Damon has his own shirt coming out. You got Peter coming out with his own shirt, and it, uh, we asked him just to join the show, just get on our own shirt. You know, get the whole clan on the shirts with us. But you know, everybody had their beef. So <laughs> JL's JL's coming out with his own. You know, he's trying to get his geo tracker out of hot. Uh, yeah, he needs that money, man. He needs that money. <laughs> Without a doubt. How many? How many? How many payments is he away again? How many payments? I uh, I think he said two more payments. Two more payments. Uh, that's, two, that's two, two more. <laughs> Geo tracker. Thirteen fifty. Thirteen dollars fifty cents. So two payments for thirteen dollars fifty cents. So he owes twenty seven dollars more. Oh my god. So he goodness. needs to get these shirts out. But uh, <laughs> you know, make sure make sure you contact the inbox. Give us your size. And uh, we're not going to, you know, I can't let you select those shirts because we don't know who's going to want to send his shirt. <laughs> You'll get one of those shirts, brother, just for the honorable mention. I can't let you, you know, can't let you go away empty handed without with just the honorable mention. No so, question. You know, no, that's wrong. Make sure one of those brothers sent you a shirt, all right? No question. <laughs> and Yanni, if you could do the same thing 
I'm losing my voice. Yanni, if you can do the same thing as uh, David Klopek, uh, when you receive the uh, tea, just throw it on for us. You know, have somebody take her, do a selfie, throw it up to the Facebook uh, page. We definitely appreciate it. Show us that love, buddy, uh, because we definitely appreciate you vibing on the page. Uh, Sean, Sean Jackson was out there as well with a few answers. But, you know, his answer was a little bit more encompassing of, you know, why the movies were important. So we definitely appreciate that love from you as well, Sean. Uh, we definitely appreciate the responses that we receive to the Facebook page. So please keep, keep that up. Keep that going. Because that helps us understand that where we're driving this conversation, where we're taking this car, where we're trying to help, you know, illuminate this art form that we all love and call hip-hop. We're taking it in the right direction. So we definitely appreciate the love. So keep it coming. And uh, yeah, with the t-shirts, uh, you know, the people around that, they, they're having some financial issues. So uh, they, they're gonna need that love. <laughs> <laughs> we need to pay them to keep them off the show. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> no, yeah. and that now gotta keep, lo gotta quit losing, man. Come on, man. You gotta start winning a little bit. I don't know. Peter turned it out today though. I mean, I gotta give it to him. Aye, man. He's shy, man. Aye. <laughs> he ain't getting no T-shirt, though. Yeah. Peter ain't getting no T-shirt. He's not getting a T-shirt. Yeah, he can't yeah. get a T-shirt. He can't win. Yeah. So don't even try to. You know, you know, Peter. He'll try to. He'll, he'll try to sneak one. So he can't win. He's too close to the show. You tell him that yourself. <laughs> nah, man. Nah, man. I, I, I'm not talking to Peter, man. <laughs> I can't. I can't understand Peter. I definitely ain't talking to him. Right. That's what I'm saying. I ain't talking. You ever see? You ever see that movie? Uh, uh, with Brad Pitt, uh, uh, Snatched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah he plays a biker. He plays the Irish biker. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, man, he talks like that, man. I think, uh-uh, I ain't, I ain't losing a caravan to him. <laughs> but, yeah, last, but, yeah, I couldn't I, I couldn't have asked, I mean, on behalf of the of the Light Podcast hosts, you know, John L., Dett, and myself, we couldn't have asked for a better response, you know, to, to last week's episode. I mean, admittedly, we were a little bit apprehensive. You know, as to how that was going to go. But, you know, like we said, I mean, just the mere mention of movies like Beach Street, you know, uh, Wild Style, Style Wars, and things like that, it just brings up so much nostalgia, you know, so much, you know, uh, remembrance of those times. And then, you know, based on your response on the Facebook fan page, I mean, we were spot on with that. So much love, you know, for that. Um, and also, I mean, I think we hit what, what ten thousand or something like that downloads or whatever like that. I mean, that's just that's just 10, amazing. Ten thousand downloads in five days. That's crazy. You know, and that's all to the listeners. We appreciate that. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously you're, uh, you know, disobeying the first rule of Fight Club, which is don't talk about Fight Club, and we don't mind. <laughs> please, keep, please keep talking about the Light Podcast because again, what we're trying to do is help hip hop return and bring or or not necessarily return as well as elevate those who are doing it the right way exactly because there are people out there who are doing it the right way right now mm -hmm. you know what i mean there are some serious grinders out there and listen fellas we hear you ladies we hear you you know what i mean we're we're receiving the information that you guys are bringing in but just remember you know that's not necessarily we don't break artists here that's not something that we necessarily do uh, but if something tickles our ear, I'm quite sure at some point in time we may just, you know, give give an example of a new artist who might be doing it in, in the way to honor and bring about how hip hop should really be brought about. 
we we like we mentioned proverb out of South Africa. You know what I'm saying? So we're going to do that from time to time. So we definitely appreciate the love of you guys sending stuff in. But just please understand, we're not here to break artists. That that all being said, I mean, this week we get back to it. I mean, we focus on another groundbreaking group. This, you know, particular hip hop collective came out of the South, opened up the door for for that generation of hip hop. We talk about the Ghetto Boys this week and Scarface's debut on Grip It That On Another Level. So you guys ready to get going on that? No yeah. doubt, no before, doubt. Let's dig in. Before we go, before we go and start this episode, I want to dedicate this episode to one person. August 23rd, 1989, we lost Yusef Hawkins in New York. The young man uh, was lost because of racism. And it's 25 years ago this year, you know, that we lost actually 20, this will be the 26th year, but uh, we lost Yusef Hawkins. So I'd like to dedicate this show to that young man right there. No doubt that, no doubt, man. You're listening to The Light Podcast. It is always, like John L. said, you reach us on Twitter at The Light Podcast or hit us up on our fan book, on our Facebook fan page. Uh, just search for The Light Podcast and drop us a message. We always respond and we always show love. Now, a little knowledge for your brain. All right, as always, every week we give you hip-hop history. We give you black history. And this week... October 29th, 1969, U.S. Supreme Court said school systems must end segregation at once and operate now and hereafter only unitary schools. In Mississippi, the court abandoned the principle of all deliberate speed, which basically means no matter what, everybody deserves the right to an education of equality. So... For all of us out there now who've decided, oh, no, I don't need to go to school, I'll get ahead, understand, as long as you're in school, your chances are 100% better than someone who doesn't go to school. With that being said, understand, this was a monumental accomplishment, and it was passed down by the Supreme Court October 29, 1969, a black history moment where the Supreme Court ruled All schools should be desegregated. Now, as far as the hip-hop history fact, October 21st, 1997, The Firm released their first and only album they ever came out with. That was Nas, AZ, Foxy Brown, and the other dude, Nature. Now, Nature didn't have too many roles after that or too many other albums after that, but everybody else went on to be successful well, Nas was successful before that. And I'm going to tell you now, to me, this album was fire. Especially Foxy's part. Foxy broke it down on this album tough. October 21st, 1997, The Firm released their hip-hop debut album and their only debut album, The Firm. And as always, I'd like to leave you with a positive quote. So let me just say this. I am thankful... For all those difficult people in my life, they have shown me exactly who I do not want to be. So, 
If you're somebody out there in life and people stop surrounding you, coming around you and they start moving on and you stay stagnated, you might be one of those difficult people that someone has decided, I don't want to be with that person or be around that person. But if you see people flock to you and you see people giving you their heart and their chances to to know who they are or, or a chance to know who they are, remember, you might be that positive one. So keep that in your mind. Peace. So this week for current events, we're going to break from the norm. Like we've talked about before here, you know, the light podcast, we're not going to just typically talk about, you know, the latest release in hip hop, who got arrested, who's this, who's that. We're talking about our culture. We're talking about how hip hop has affected our culture. And there was a very disturbing event at Spring Valley High School. Um, and an officer was suspended after a violent classroom uh, arrest of a uh, student there. Um, but fortunately enough for us here at the Light Podcast, Det is a former law enforcement officer, so he can talk from it uh, from his perspective of being behind that blue line. So I would like, like Det to you know open up this segment to uh, to really just get into some of some of the background as to how law enforcement are supposed to deal with incidents or situations such as this. Det. Okay, some of you may know, some of you may not know. Um, there was an incident in South Carolina this past week regarding an officer who came in to remove a supposedly rowdy or uh, uncooperative student out of the classroom. And me being former law enforcement, I'm gonna tell you right now, uh, I've reviewed it with uh, friends of mine that are detectives, friend of mine, friends of mine that are sheriff's officers, friend of mine, friends of mine that are in all forms of law enforcement. And I'm gonna tell you right now, Everybody that uh, talked about that with me and we looked at it, reviewed it from front to back, sees it as what it is. That was nothing less than excessive force used by that officer who appears to be an officer who doesn't need to be throwing a, a youth around, an individual around like that. And he took it upon himself to act as if God or her parent and the force of throwing that child backwards like that who could have clearly hit their head and died on the scene or caused some kind of other damage and then snatching them and throwing them forward sent me back to the, the days of viewing uh, the civil rights era with the videos of the dogs chasing them and the cops being able to do what they want to do and turn uh, water on, you know, turn the hoses on black individuals. I was disgusted as a human being. I was disgusted as somebody who used to work in law enforcement. I was disgusted all the way around, around this. And I also say, and I say this clearly, and I don't want anybody to sugarcoat my words whatsoever. If you ever in my life touch my child in that way, they would still have that individual in protective custody because daddy is coming. There's no way you would hide from me. Did this officer have a background of violence or inappropriate behavior? Yeah, from what they said, yeah. 
So why was he allowed to work in the school setting? That's my big question. Not why was he allowed to. Yeah. Let's say why was he allowed to be a police officer anymore whatsoever? Well, yeah, that's the biggest question. But why was he allowed to be a police officer in that setting in the school with those with that type of history? He was a uh, he was a school officer, right? Right, John. I mean, what, what was this? Exactly. I mean, he uh, this this officer joined the Richland County Sheriff's Department in 2004, and uh, the school resource program in 2008. And, um, you know, there was a 2007 lawsuit filed against him. A jury ruled in favor of the officer. So, therefore, in that case, you, you know, while there's history there, you, because the jury ruled in favor of the officer, you can't necessarily side with the officer mm -hmm. in that particular case. Um, but with respect to, you know, what we're talking about here, I listened to the uh, report, and it just seems as though what everyone sees on tape is what happened. Mm -hmm. Let's just be honest. He used excessive force on a little girl that he outweighs by more than, you know, easily 100 pounds. And what's disturbing me, actually, is that no one in the classroom, including the teacher, responded in any way out of shock when this occurred. Right. If, if you notice, when you look at the video, that the young person sitting behind the, look, the young lady, the desk actually hits, I can't tell if it's a male or female student there in a red sweatshirt. The desk that the little girl is sitting in that is flipped by the officer with the child still in the uh, chair, hits that student's desk. And, that's, and the student has what appears to be a laptop on their desk. And they don't even really jump or flinch. Like, and like, oh my, you know, like, is the desk gonna hit me? So, you know, that's my, you know, that's my first observation. And then my, you know, my question is, why did the officer feel as though this amount of force was necessary? And such what seems to be from the outside looking in an innocuous situation. And why are police officers being called to schools for discipline? This is a discipline issue. If the young lady was being disruptive in class, chewing gum, whatever the case may have been, this is a school disciplinary issue. You have to understand that there's a breakdown in the process in how the school is dealing with the child, which is why we're in our current situation of this pipeline of high schools to incarceration that we're seeing in a lot of our nation's schools. We just had a judge sentenced in Pennsylvania a few days ago, you know what I mean? Because he was selling black children to the privatized industry, uh, prison industry. He had 15 years on the bench where he was selling black children to prisons, basically, is how the case boiled down, of various ages. So you have an officer such as this who came into the force, so they're seeing that type of corruption there, and they're like, okay, well, here we go. This is, this is just how we treat this certain segment of people. And that's, I think, an institutional problem that needs to be addressed. So when you look at this video, for me, several things spoke out. The teacher even at one point just stands and looks down at the uh, student on the ground and just calmly steps to the right. So you're seeing complicitness from not only the students sitting and watching, but from the person who's supposed to be leading the classroom. So everybody's used to this type of behavior, and that should speak volumes. You asked, why is this acceptable? I'll tell you why. 
it is changed in society to be acceptable. And I, I forgot who it actually was that said this. She she was so poetic in saying this. It, it was so correct. She said, the teachers are afraid of the administration. The administration are afraid of the school board. The school board is afraid of the parents. And the parents are afraid of the children nowadays. And who are the children afraid of? Nobody. So nobody is taking control of anything. It's just you have everybody doing what the children want or terrified of the children. Now, as it is when I left law enforcement, I was able to go into the teaching uh, field myself. To this day, I will tell you right now, because I didn't take any crap, but I also was hard and I was fair at the same time. I was respectful, but I also demanded respect. These kids still, even after high school, I told them, after you turn 18, man, you can call me by my real name. I mean, you're not a student of mine anymore. These kids still address me as Mr. Edwards when they see me. And some of these kids are over 21 years old, but it's about those teachers enforcing respect. If you don't enforce or demand respect, you'll get nothing. When I was growing up, you know what Ritalin was when I was growing up? That's that backhand. That calmed you down real quick. <laughs> that, no doubt, no that doubt, taught you no a doubt. Lesson. But let me, let me just uh, clarify a few things before I move on from the discussion. First of all, the deputy's name was Ben Fields. He's also been suspended at this point uh, without pay as of Monday. Right. The, uh, the sheriff said he will make a decision within a 24-hour period on whether to continue his employment or not. At this point, because of the publicity and the fact that this dude has like two strikes in his background, he's done. His career is officially done. Secondly, Don Lemon is a piece of crap. I saw a report, well, actually I saw an interview where he's telling a former prosecutor, oh, but we don't know the events that led up to that. And the prosecutor yelled at him and said, I don't need to see the events. What we saw was enough. He said, yeah, but we don't know what led up to that. She said, well, she was in the seat. She wasn't resisting. She was sitting in her chair. If she was resisting, okay, then there's a need for use of force. She was sitting in her chair. She's a female. She was sitting in her chair, holding still. This officer snatched the chair and her and threw her to the floor and then snatched her out of the chair and threw her to the front of the classroom. A grown man did this. Now I'm gonna tell you, there's good cops and there's bad cops. And because of the bad cops, the good cops get frowned upon. So like I said, you know, with this dude, now that you're, you're a civilian again, you're gonna meet the same people on the way up that you met, or you know, on the way down that you met on the way up. And hopefully that you run into some of those large individuals that you put in prison, that you did something to when you were with your boys or with your friends and your backup. And maybe you can get the other end of the stick. Be a man about it, you know, you're gonna get lumped up probably, somebody's gonna see you. You're not gonna get that, uh, that Zimmerman and get away with everything because we've all learned by you what happened. You didn't use his protection as a verb, did you? <laughs> you said he ain't gonna get that Zimmerman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, That's man. But just to bring this, but just to bring this full circle, man. I mean, I I just really think that, you know, what we're facing, man, is how do we get to where we are right now? You know what I mean? Why? Are we at such a divide between those who are protecting and serving 
versus, you know what I mean, the people that they're supposed to protect and serve. You know, there are such things as issues and problems. And the only way it is to solve issues is to figure out what the problems are. You can't keep dealing with just the after effect of something and causing and dealing with that. That's the war on drugs. So at the end of the day, man, that's, that's what this situation it, we keep talking about the same things happening over and over and over again, but we're not talking about the solution to what's the underlying factor to all of these situations. And I think once that conversation starts being had, you know what I mean, I think we'll get closer to the solution. Power and equality, and I'm out to get it. I know some of you ain't with it. This party started right in 66 with the pro-black radical mix. <laughs> Damn, what? And that's what we're talking about. You know what I mean? If you think about what we're doing with our podcast, we're talking about hip-hop, but at the same time, we're talking about hip-hop and how it has shaped the last 30-plus years of our culture. Uh, and not just our culture, but the worldwide culture, the global culture, through, through pain, strife, and you know all that you get something beautiful you get something you get a piece of art out of it do you think that the anti-establishment message the overall anti-establishment message that hip-hop brings do you think that that amplifies you know this quote-unquote behavior that the police are responding to or do you think it just exposes it for what it is i think it's a combination of the two mm -hmm. you know because like when i first started listening to hip-hop i remember my mom when i first started listening to hip-hop and she started listening or she would hear the lyrics coming out of my room blaring of course um <laughs> you know she reminded me very poignantly that don't ever lose sight of the fact that this is entertainment you know what I mean? Like, some of this stuff is autobiographical to a certain extent. But understand, this is for entertainment, so it's not actually real. I think the people that get, in, that get on the opposite side of hip-hop are the ones who listen to it thinking that that's real life. Because it really isn't. This is entertainment. You can't do, and it does have to be sensationalized to a certain extent to make it a little bit more entertaining. So at its substance, yes, some of these things are actual and factual, you know, and some rappers do, and some hip-hop artists do just talk about facts. But for the majority of hip-hop, there is a level of embellishment, there is a level of sensationalism. And I think those who, get, who go down the wrong path with hip-hop are the ones who forget that part of hip-hop. It's for entertainment. Mm -hmm. you, you can't do what these hip-hop artists talk about in their in their cuts you 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 can't do it they can do it but the problem is where are you going to end up you're going to end up in prison uh, uh, or six uh, feet uh, under you're 100 correct you have an option in life you can listen to these lyrics and then you can be labeled as an idiot you know what exactly. i mean you can listen to the lyrics and try to live out those lyrics and be labeled as an idiot Another great point here, and I'm not going to say the name of the artists that we listened to together yesterday, but you have some of these up-and-coming rappers that, that want to get in the game, you know, and what they're doing is just they're emulating what they're hearing. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I'm, I'm talking sorry. about. I'm sorry. He sucked. I'm sorry, but go ahead. Yeah, but I mean... He's doing exactly what you and John just said. You know, he's emulating the characters. He's emulating the personalities that these rappers are projecting on the radio. And he's trying to do it himself. 
this, that's like we talked about a couple episodes ago, man. There's a responsibility that these guys have that they don't realize that they have. I mean, look at the influence that they're having on some of these up-and-coming rappers. They'll never get anywhere. They'll never leave the hood. You know what I mean? But they're making these songs that are comical, man. They're ridiculous. They don't know nothing about that life. You know what I'm saying? And they're trying to emulate what they're hearing on the radio when it sounds ridiculous. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Exactly. And when you listen to the hip-hop that we talk about, it's all about getting out of the hood or improving the hood. Mm-hmm. It's not about tearing the hood further down. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to live there. You know what I mean? So you should want to beautify where you live, protect where you live, build up what you where, where you live. And you should want to rep where you're from to a positive degree. Right. I'm proud to say, you know, that I'm from Pittsburgh. <laughs> Yo, if you ain't never been to the ghetto, don't ever come to the ghetto. Because you wouldn't understand the ghetto. So listen, Naughty by Nature. Listen, listen, Naughty by Nature. I've been to the ghetto, I live in the ghetto, and if the ghetto is not somewhere where one should want to spend their entire existence. The ghetto is somewhere where you should see it as, come on, you know, this is where... and and, And here's the crazy part about people from the hood. And I'm going to say it because somebody needs to say it. If you can deal with all the strep and the strife and, uh, and, and everything that goes on in the hood, then you can deal with anything in the world. That's true. You understand what I'm saying? So, at the, so while you're looking at your, as, as you're looking at, at your situation, and if you're in the hood and you're listening to this, really hear me on this. If you're looking at your situation as an excuse instead of looking at your situation as the weight you gotta lift to build yourself mentally, physically, and emotionally, then you're looking at it with the wrong freaking perspective. You need to wake the freak up. Because the harder, the you know, diamonds are built from pressure. So you're in the hood, you're under a lot of freaking pressure. You know, especially if you're trying to do right and trying to go to school if you're a youngin', you know what I mean? Or if you're an adult trying to put things together so you can, you know, provide for for you and your family. And the hood is is that stop off you got to make while you do that. Then it should be just like when, you know, an athlete goes into the gym and they're training and they're lifting weights and they're trying to get faster. They're working on their quick twitch muscles. They're doing what they got to do in order to be, to have the endurance and the sustainability to outlast their opponent in the game whenever they play it. So if you're living in the hood, then I'm trying to tell you, you're lifting freaking trucks up off your back every day. You're bench pressing a house every day. Every day. Because you got a lot of, you you got a lot to deal with. You know what I mean? If you're a youngin' and you got, you know, you may have a parent who isn't the best parent for, you know, substance situation or whatever situation. So you got to be that parent to yourself. Yeah, it's hard, but guess what? You know what I mean? A lot of people do it. But, you know, and that's what hip-hop used to talk about. It didn't talk about and glorify who was the drug dealer. It talked about and glorified who took the drug dealer down. Or who just didn't go the drug dealer route. Or who went the drug dealer route and then made, made everything right with what they made from that illicit situation. They didn't live in that. You can't live on the corner, yo. Let's just be honest. You can't stack rocks and live and live on the block every single day. That's not realistic. You don't even own a corner. The corner is owned by the people in the state and in the, in the country. You don't own it. Yeah. So that's just that's you don't have any longevity with that. 
You understand what I'm saying? So when those artists, and that's why I think myself, Scott, and Deck, why we come together and do this podcast, because we see the music talking about shit that we know isn't sustainable. And if you're talking about something in the music that's not sustainable, then guess what you're doing to the freaking music? You're making the music unsustainable. You're killing it. You're a freaking weed. We want you out. So when we look at this situation in South Carolina and we look at all these things that are going on with the youth and we look at where, you know, we're seeing the splinterization in, inside of hip-hop to all these gimmicks. And I'm not saying hip-hop always has to be, you know what I mean, that, you know, in your face, socially conscious, socially aware. I mean, it's, I mean, it's music. It's entertaining. You know, I don't want to belabor the point. I mean, you definitely hit it home with, with that last piece you said, but um, you talked about how the hip-hop that we've been reviewing doesn't glorify the bullshit. Right? And I think we've actually made sure that we responsibly mention that in every one of the tracks that we review. But one of the things I think you forgot to mention was that even those hip hop artists that we talked about that did, you know, live that life, that were about that life at one point, they expressed regret. You know what I'm saying? Like Jay Z's whole first album, regret was all through that album. You know what I'm saying? And um, a lot of these characters that were created to do this quote-unquote gangster rap that's happening right now, there's no regret in their lyrics. It's all about glorification. You know, so, I mean, you know, just to just to bridge off what you said before, but that definitely resonated with me, what you guys were just saying. Yeah, man, and I mean, again, I don't want to get it confused or twisted that I'm sitting here trying to be this judge and jury. I understand there has to be entertaining hip-hop, but what we don't need is like you just you know so eloquently uh, stated is that hip-hop that all it talks about is i'm in the trap i'm in the hallway i'm selling them rocks i'm selling them stacks yeah that shit is whack nah, man it's whack yeah man. Mm-hmm. come on man mm-hmm. i don't think your career would have any type of longevity if that's all you was talking about you know you talk about some of those artists and again i'm not going to name any names we talk about some of those artists where that's all they talked about they were flashes in the pan Ice-T been in this game 25 plus years. You know, these guys, that all they talk about is, you know, slinging dope, killing and all that. They last five seconds in this game, man. And that's, and, and see, you're very, what you just said right there is very important. And that's, and that is one of the key components that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to to help them understand that those type of rappers are industry-made rappers. Because the message doesn't change, does it? No. Does that drug dealing in the hallway, all that, all that? The flash in the pan, think about it. The flash in the pan rapper, what he was saying five years ago, there's a new rapper who's a flash in the pan saying it today. Think about that. They're still trying to push that same message. They just got to put it in a different rapper so you can accept it. I sit alone in my four-cornered room staring at candles. Oh, that shit is on? <laughs> Let me drop some shit like this here. Yeah. At night I can't sleep. I toss and turn. Candlesticks in the dark. Visions of bodies being burned. Four walls just staring at a nigga. I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger. My mother's always stressing I ain't living right. But I ain't going out without a fight. See, every time my eyes close, I start sweating. And blood starts coming out my nose. It's somebody watching the act. But I don't know who it is, so I'm watching my back I can see him when I'm deep in the covers When I awake, I don't see the motherfucker He owns a black hat like I own 
a black suit and a cane like my own. Alright, fellas, here we go. This is uh the big part of the episode where we actually get into an album. Last week we did the movies. This week we're getting back to the LPs. Collectively, we decided to go down south, right? We went and uh we picked up the Ghetto Boys album. Now, normally what we do is we do the review of the debut album, but this is not the the, the uh, actual debut album of the Ghetto Boys. I mean, if you look at even the way the Ghetto Boys name is spelled now, D-E-T-O Boys, it wasn't even spelled like that in the beginning. It was spelled straight up like a you know ghetto in the dictionary, G-H-E-T-T-O Boys. You know what I mean? So exactly. they, they've gone through lots of you know permutations of members. I mean, the Ghetto Boys that we all know and love, the ones that kind of hit. You know, Bushwick Bill, Scarface, Willie D, and their DJ Ready Red. I mean, they weren't even the original members. The original members, Prince Johnny C, uh, Raheem, Bushwick was the only original member that kind of stayed on through. Um, DJ Ready Red was there, uh, Sir Rap a lot. Prince came in and shook all this up. Jay Prince, you know, much respect to Jay Prince, CEO of Rap a lot Records. We're going to talk about him a little bit later on. But um, when their real debut album hit, he wasn't happy with the sales. I mean, so he basically went in like a football team manager and cut everybody, <laughs> and brought in and brought in Willie D and Scarface, who was known as you know DJ Big Action back then, and that's when they became the Ghetto Boys that we all know and love today. So before we get into the album, I want to ask you guys real quick. I mean, when you hear the term or when you hear the group Ghetto Boys, what's the first thing that comes into your into play? My mind's playing tricks on me. Oh, there it is, no doubt. And and how about this craziness? Bushwick Bill, as one of the original members of the uh, G-H-E-T-T-O, Ghetto Boys, uh, he was a dancer. Yeah. <laughs> how, how crazy is that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But uh, other, than, other than my mind's playing tricks on me, just because, you know, we heard it so much. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, it Scarface. You know what I mean? Because how he came out of this thing. You know, from a from a group to a to a soloist that uh, you know as that total MC package. Right. You know, one one day we're going to look at him and uh, look at his debut album as a you know as an independent or as a you know standalone uh, artist. Oh, no doubt, man, no doubt. When I think about Scarface, okay. Now I'll say two things here real quick. So one of the things that always comes up when you talk about Scarface, everybody always says, oh, he's the most underrated this, he's the most underrated that. I disagree 100%. Scarface is not underrated. Not at all. We know. True heads, they know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They know what's up with Scarface. He may not be on the radio 24-7. You know what I'm saying? He may not have videos going through the different, you know, TV stations or whatnot. But Scarface has been here, you know, this is going on 30 years. And doing it big, you see what I'm saying? I I go I go back to that famous uh, Source magazine cover, where it was just a picture of Scarface standing there in his trench coat and his hat, and it said the last man standing right after Big was killed. You know he's the last of the greats that's alive. You know what I'm saying? Still doing it. I mean I thought that was I, I tore that cover off and stuck it right on my wall, and I think it stayed there until I left to go to college. Until I left until I came back from college. Excuse me. Yeah, well, Scarface is a beast, man. I mean, from a producer, you know what I mean, to just being an MC. I mean, you can't you can't mention hip hop without mentioning Scarface because mm-hmm. he opens up that whole he opens up that Southwest corridor for hip hop. Mm-hmm. And as we look at how hip hop grew and manifested itself from you know rappers' delight 
to where it is right now. He's definitely one of the builders that helped hip hop expand to the lower half of the country. No doubt. And um, you know, you bring up a good point. I mean, that's the reason why we chose to review this album, Grip It on that other level. This is not the Ghetto Boys debut by any means. This is their second album, but um, this is the first album that Scarface appears on. I'm biased for that. I mean, that's I'm glad that we chose this. I mean, to me, this is the Ghetto Boys real debut. Let's get it in. Well, you got Uncle Face. You got Uncle Face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, he's just a monster. Scarface is just a monster. I mean, he always seems to release a track or, or, or do something that's right on time. But, um, you know, starting right here with the first track, Do It Like a Geo, the thing that I remember the most about this track right here is Jay Prince. Underground Master speaking. Yo, D, what's up? Just chilling, man. What's up? Get him ghetto boys ring, man. Hold him down. Ghetto boys. Hey. What's up, Jay? Yeah, man, I got Willie D on the other end. What's up, Will? What's up now? What's up, fellas? Say, fellas, I've been kicking a few lyrics in the back of my mind, man. And I'm tired of motherfuckers disrespecting us because we're black owned and won't sell out. So check this out. We need to get together and go to that other level of the game and do it like Geo. Jay Prince got to be the most, he, he, he got to be the most gangster CEO I've ever seen. Man. You know, and if you listen to interviews with Scarface, Willie D, and Bushwick later on, you know, they say the same thing. I mean, this guy, he never raised his voice. Right, right. His voice barely raised above a whisper. But he's got, like, the ultimate respect throughout the industry. Nobody fucks with Jay Prince. You have never heard Jay Prince's name, you know, involved with bullshit like you hear with Puffy and, and all those other, you know what I'm saying, individuals. I mean, Jay Prince just kind of stayed down in there in the South, and he just ran it. He just ran shit down there. Real bad boys move in silence. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So. You know, things that are understood don't need to be talked about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, even in this track here, I mean, you know, the opening fold call between Jay Prince and Willie D. I mean, he's mad, right? Jay Prince is mad, you can tell. But his voice never raised above a whisper. And his, prob and his, and his heartbeat probably never raised above resting. This real gangster shit right there, man. But, um. Right, right, right. But, yeah, so do it like a Geo. I mean, first things first, what is a Geo? Gangster original. Yep. Oh, so they just took OG and flipped it around. Yeah. Or did, or or did, you know, Go get flipped around to be an OG? Yeah. What came first, chicken or the egg? That's true too. Uh, in this case, uh, OG was mentioned in California way before this, because mm -hmm. you had OGs in the '70s and the '60s. So yeah, it, it was, you know, they just flipped it around themselves to Go. Mm -hmm. Damn, there it is. So do it like a Geo means do it like a gangster original. You know, start digging into the lyrics of, the, of this different song here. I mean, what is the first group that comes to mind when you hear this track right here? That was strictly nothing but Public Enemy. Yeah. Public Enemy. Exactly. I mean, exactly. From the beat to the lyrics, I mean, it's not like you said. You could say they they copied their style. Public Enemy was so close to them, right? It was just amazing. Mm -hmm. So you know, it was, it was a lot of a lot of relevance in there in this stuff. Well, actually, they Public Enemy came first, so you say you can't say that the Ghetto Boys copied their style. It was just 
to me, when you get close to somebody like that and you have your own flair, your own style, no matter what, mm-hmm. and maybe one or two of your songs sound like them, that's paying homage. Now, if you literally steal their beats and their words, you're copywriting. You know, that's copyright infringement. But right, when right. you sit up and you just sound like them, that's just paying homage. No, and no, yeah. This I, song right here, yeah. That was a straight public enemy, dog. No doubt. They weren't copying. I mean, I agree that they're paying homage. I mean, they're showing respect to Chuck. I go to the first, the first, the first instance of where we introduced to Scarface. You know what I mean? He said black radio. And again, this speaks to everything that we've been talking about here on the show. Scarface. Right, right. The first thing that Scarface ever said as a member of the Ghetto Boys, black radio is being disowned. Not by any other race, but by its own. A lot of bullshit records making hits. Because the radio is all about politics. And then he says, action is my identity, whoever you be. My last go, the radio struck me with a low blow. Now I'm doing it like a geo. So he, he's going at the radio, minute right, one, right. second one. That's Scarface right there. I mean, he's anti-establishment already. He has a problem with authority. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and even when he comes in with a second verse, he's picking up right where he left off with fucked up politics. Mm-hmm. Those tie-wearing bitches can suck my dick. Mm-hmm. Try to oh, ban oh. my style of teaching, mm-hmm. but my freedom of speech allow me to keep speaking mm-hmm. to the people about the shit like racism. Come on, man. I, uh, I got to finish it off. It's deep into the heart of the school system. Mm-hmm. Whites got more funds from the state, and this is why minorities learn so late. Now, this is 1988. 88, yeah. 1988, mm-hmm. and it's 2015 right now. You can Google that and put anywhere USA, and that's still happening. Right. It's happening in the District of Columbia. It's happening in Baltimore County, Baltimore City. You know what I'm saying? Where the tax dollars are supposed to be spread evenly, but there's a disproportionate amount that for some reason goes in another direction. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think the reason why the Ghetto Boys took off is Scarface. I agree. And I, I believe the reason why they took off as a result of Scarface is because of Scarface's style of bringing some legitimacy to what was being said out of this coalition of thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that, I know, thoughts. Excuse me. (laughs) But, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, man, it is that street reporter. It is the voice of the people as it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So as you mentioned, the ghetto boys weren't catching on because they had the individuals. And I'm not trying to disparage anybody, but they were talking more about the inside the situation versus the situation as a whole and and the problem with the situation. There's a little bit more glorification from the other members as there was from Scarface as from an educational perspective. So when you come at somebody from an educational perspective through an entertainment medium, you're going to be able to capture them that much greater. And that's what Scarface was able to do for the Ghetto Boys, and that's why so many real hip-hop heads resonate or get with Scarface is because he's about that educational piece. I can't agree with you anymore based on what you said, John. I mean... I'm sitting here still digging into the lyrics, and I think it's interesting, right? I mean, the title of the track is Do It Like a Geo, right? So they're talking about everything, you know, how they move, everything that they do is, is you know, they're doing it like, like a gangster original. But you look into the lyrics of what Willie 
you know, Face and Bush were talking about, a lot of the things that they talk about, for example, Willie goes in on those that are actually out there slinging dope. He said, everybody's coming with guns, but you're just getting pimped by the Colombians. They're putting you on the streets like a bitch. You know what I'm saying? No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Slanging, but who's getting rich? The Puerto Ricans getting rich. I never sold the mess, but if I did, it would be for my goddamn self. Can you adjust to the wholesale bus? Bushwick, tell these motherfuckers what's up. I mean, he's telling you that shit is corny as hell. What you guys are doing is so damn stupid. You're not even working for yourself. You're working for somebody else. They put, you're the one at risk. They're the one that's making all the profit off of you. So here we are, 1988. This is in the belly of the beast. This is ground. This is, this is when it was all really taking off, especially, you know, in all regions of the U.S. And Willie's up here on the title track of this particular album telling you it's whack. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, right, it's, right. It's, it's nonsense what y'all are doing. And then Bushwick comes right after that and basically cosigns what the hell Willie D just said. He was like, when will you stupid motherfuckers learn? In this game, one way or another, you're going to get burned. You're going to end up behind bars or in the morgue. Y'all got MF Shrine all over the place. Good Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We can't edit the lyrics, man. We can't edit the lyrics. I'm just going to say this, man. This Willie D is definitely one of those that he's more political than the rest of the group. Well, when it started, he was more political than the rest of the group. You listen to his lyrics, he's telling you more about what's going on in the streets and what's going on in their hood than anybody else was. And that was that was just this one song was like that. Now, did he switch it later on in the other songs? Yeah. And did he get perverted in the other songs? Yeah. But in this song right here, he kept those political ties close and he you know, he kept this thing thing strong. And I think they chose their first song to be on the album wisely. It's not like any other song, like some of the other songs with the cursing and calling women's B words and hoes and all that other stuff. Because mm-hmm. that, let's let's be honest, if you turn that on and that's the first song you hear on an album, are you really going to listen to it any further? No. You're going to sit up there and say, ah, nah. Either you're going to skip to something else or you're going to sit up there and be like, nah, this album ain't for me. So this one, the first song, the politicalness connected to the song and the way it sounded, like Public Enemy, that to me drew you in further and said, all right, I'm going to give them a shot when they were relatively unheard of in our area. Mm-hmm. So I think that that gave them the shot and that that helped them go. And just the political connection at the time mm-hmm. was one of the, the, the best coming out of their area. Oh, I agree. I agree 100 percent. I want to I want to say one verse to y'all, to you and John, and I want to get your honest opinion, your honest reaction to what I'm about to say. Willie D is not a bigot. And he won't be. I just educate minds through reality. This ain't no back to Africa. Try to pull that shit, we'll have a massacre. What do y'all feel about that? That's a, that's a tough one, Scott. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Because my ear, he's saying a couple different things. Yeah, me too. Go ahead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he's saying that if we, for argument's sake, saying everybody said, okay, all African-Americans, all right, we're going back to Africa. Charter the planes, charter the boats. Here we, here we go. Would the country let us leave? Would the rest of the country let all the African-Americans leave? Athletes, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not just the ones in prison and not just the ones you see on your news. Mm-hmm. The actors as well, the musicians as well. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them. Every single one of us. I, and he's that's where the massacre comes in. Yeah, I think the bigger, like, yeah. I think the bigger question is 
Let's line those boats up and let's see how many of us actually get on. See what I'm saying? And if we did get on, how would you run this country without us? Mm-hmm. Because whether whether you believe it or not, and some people say, oh, no, we could, we do just fine. The, the tide has shifted where black money, if strung together, is more powerful than a lot of other money in the United States. Mm-hmm. We're just as strong as the rest of the rich in the United States. The rich are now becoming the minorities themselves because we're catching up. So you can't call yourself a majority when you've got a lot of blacks catching up in society. So, you know, if we got on those boats, how would America survive without us spending our money on Black Friday, mm-hmm. on that Listen. weekend, on Cyber Monday, or, or you know, or, or getting into the club before 12? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. There is a movie. There is a movie. And, Scott, I wouldn't mind you because this is the discussion that we're having. It's so funny how when we go through this, if you say my how favorite, it takes us. There's a movie called Confederate States of America. Oh, no, that's not it. Okay. Mm. All right. Now, listen, a lot of people haven't seen this movie. But if you Google this movie and just YouTube one scene out of it, it'll make you scratch your head. Confederate States of America is a movie, but it's actually done as if it's an introspective look at, at society if slavery never ended. So what it does, it takes you through a couple days of what life would be like. So you, what do you see? You see TV shows, you see commercials, you see all sorts of stuff, right? Because it's a day in the life of what it would be like if the South had won the war. One of the commercials, and this, I'm not making this up, is for Darky Toothpaste. Damn. And, and it's to get your teeth that Darky White. Another one of the commercials is for LoJack for your property. Does your property get away from you? And it shows a black dude running, and then it says, never lose your property again. And the LoJack ankle bracelet monitor goes off, and you know, the slave is brought back home. And it's modern day. It's today. It's called Confederate States of America. Mm. So you, you bring up that question throughout the, you know, inside of these lyrics, and I really want our podcast listeners to really understand something that I'm about to say. This is a very organic conversation that Scott and myself are having. This isn't some script. This isn't, you know what I mean? This is, you know, what he's talking about in these lyrics. And this is a real movie that I've seen that these two people haven't seen. This is a totally real conversation. It's just, it's just funny how all these thoughts just come together in order to make what we do in this podcast, talking about how hip-hop and our culture is so intertwined. And if you really listen to it and really get a grasp of it, you'll have a totally different understanding and understand why we call it an art form. So I digress. And if the South would have won the war, this is what he's talking about right there. If we were to leave, they would, they, they would lynch us. They would kill us. They would do everything they possibly could to keep us here. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's, that's, that's, some, that's something very deep that you brought up through his lyrics right there. Yeah. Well, I'll I tell you what. This is, this, there's a movie I definitely want to bring up, and I want everybody that listens to this show, whether you're white, black, Spanish, you know, Chinese, whatever you are, I want you to go out Rent this movie. It's called White Man's Burden. I love that movie. Yeah. I love that. Check yeah. that movie out, and that I movie that will movie. tell you exactly what we experience on a daily. But it shows you from the other side as if the blacks were the upper class, and the white have to deal with the life that we live. And 
you see how things change and how they are. And once you see that movie and understand, trust me, you will not look at things the same way again because you have, you know, if you're somebody out there struggling, you understand the struggle. But if you're somebody out there living a privileged life and they take it away from you, you can even uh, look at, uh, well, Denzel had one movie before that. But his second movie that he was in when he was a teenager is called Carbon Copy. Great movie. Great movie, man. If you Excellent there movie. Excellent movie. you mm-hmm. realize what they did to his father, who had a black child, he became a father to a black child who dated a black woman back in college or something like that or before college, whatever it was. No, in college. And he gave birth to a black child. If you saw how his family disowned him, took away all of his money, made him worth nothing but $2.50 left, you have to understand the stuff we're talking about now, the life that some of these these rappers that came up in the old school, the life they saw and that they were talking about from the street. Not this crap that you hear nowadays where everybody got gold, everybody got guns, everybody got girls, everybody got money, everybody got cars, everybody got this. I'm, I'm hustling, I'm selling drugs, I'm doing this and that. Yeah, that's fine. But if you can see these two movies, it will definitely give you a better perspective on life growing up as not just a a black man or black woman, but a life growing up as a minority. Excellent. Excellent point there. That was a fantastic movie, man. I want to say one more thing and then we'll move on to the next track. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Scarface comes right up after Willie D. And he says what I think is probably the most poignant verse of the whole song. He said, our ancestors were killed at will, bought and sold like a used automobile. We fought back to exist. Now we're killing one another. Ain't that a bitch? That's, Talk about it. I'm saying, it's Scarface, man. I mean, this is 88, 88, you know what I'm saying? 88, 89, Ghetto Boys debut. Scarface is going in like this already. Well, it's after that crack, or it's during that, it's during that crack explosion. It's, it's, it's during that white tsunami. Right. And don't forget that white tsunami came in from out west. Right. So because they're closer to Mexico, you know, it's easy to assume it came up through there first. So they were getting that pure gold. Right. You understand what I'm saying? And right. at the same time, you know, it was that it was that original portal to the east mm-hmm. for for that powder. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying so, you know, they were right there, like you said, at ground zero. Mm-hmm. They were at ground zero for that powder. When you when you look at that, you look at their lyrics. And how they're breaking it down, they're, they're looking at everything that everyone else is just happening down there, too. So what they're doing is they're basically tying, tying this rope together so now people can understand that what's happening in the Bronx just ain't happening in the Bronx with police brutality. Mm-hmm. Oh, they try to make it seem like it's an isolated incident. But no, nah, it's, it's systematic. It's, it's all over the place. They try to make it seem like cracking your hood is just cracking your hood. But crack is just not in your hood. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And everyone's being suffered under the, un, under the same thumb. You know what I mean? And this is just one of those things that, you know, they bring out from the very beginning with doing it like a geo. It's just interesting, man, that, you know, in this, in this particular track here, they're telling you what it means to do it like a geo. But you dig into the lyrics, being a true gangster isn't about out there killing each other. It's not about out there slinging dope. 
You know what I'm saying? That's not what it's about. That's not what it means to be a gangster original. You know what I'm saying? According to the Ghetto Boys. And I think that's just an incredibly important message. I mean, here we are again talking about the message. There's knowledge that can be transferred. And that's what you got here, man. Well, I, well, I think, you know, one of the things with hip-hop, man, and, you know, some people, I may lose y'all with this, but I know for real intelligent individuals, they'll stick with us. Just like before when, you know, African-Americans, when, you know, was first brought here as slaves, they had to communicate in a coded language. That's the same thing with hip-hop. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? This is this coded language that we're communicating through in order to try to help one another get through whatever it is that we're going through because someone else is going through it as well. So through their victory, you can find strength. You know what I mean? You're, you're looking at Scarface being and, and Willie D and Bushwick putting down lyrics like this. You know what I mean? At the same time, you know what I mean? They're, they're trying to do something positive. They're, 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 they're trying to motivate forward. They're not living their lyrics. They are using their lyrics to educate what's going on so you don't fall into the same trap. That's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd like to close out this track and leave you with some more Willie D wisdom. I mean, at the end there, he says, a colorblind society will never be unless we agree in harmony to do it like a geo. Here we go, next track, uh, Gangsta Love. I know that I know this was your favorite track though. The hell it wasn't. But I think this is Sugarfoot's favorite song though, isn't it? Nah, I'm gonna tell y'all this. Like, like I, I, I was talking to my co-host behind the scenes, and I literally told them, I said, during this song right here, the white man in me came out. I was when I started hearing some of these lyrics, I was like, oh my God, you can't talk like that. What's wrong with these people? And then after that, the bitch in me came out. I was like, oh, I was offended. Like he slapped me in this song. Like, oh, I'm hurt. Somebody call the police. I, yo, this song right here, it, you know, I can say this. You had Chuck D and Public Enemy, the first song on their album. Then they go to the other side of the spectrum with the second um, song on the album, and they take it to Talk Like Sex under Cool G Rap. And even Cozy Rap might have been offended by some of the stuff that these dudes said in this track right here. And you look at it, the stuff they said, and Bushwick Bill, Bushwick Bill had a lot of anger and hate in him. Like, you know, you, you listen, you're a little dude, man. With all that anger and hate, you got six foot anger and hate. And you a little, like, three foot dude. That was terrible. Good lord, this song was offensive. Stupid. I mean, let's, stupid, let's, just, let's just say it like it is, fellas. I mean, we're grown men now. You know what I mean? Back then, when we were kids, listen to this, all right, yeah, whatever, but... Nah, yeah. nah, speak for yourself. I've still been offended. I've still been like... Yeah, I mean... You know, I mean, I'm going to be honest. And back when this came out, yeah, I was leaning back saying, call me the gangster love. Yeah, me too. Me <laughs> you know, call me, call me, call me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I can't front. You know what I mean? I definitely can't, I definitely can't front. 
But at the same time, this was 1988, and I'm not using my age as an excuse, but what I am going to say is, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child. Now that I'm a man, I think like a man. Yeah, you know what I mean? So, I mean... I got to college, and the dudes from Alabama, like, a lot of them lived in Birmingham and all that stuff. When I went down to Tuskegee, they were... These dudes were pumping this right here like crazy. These dudes, the gangster love and all that stuff, I did not like it. I'm, I'm gonna be real. I didn't, there was nothing about it I liked. <laughs> I didn't like the beat. I didn't like the lyrics on this song. I didn't like nothing about this right, song. Right. I was just that's what. Really well, it was definitely hard. It was, it was definitely hard to listen to this track when you had your girl around you or her friends around you. You know what I mean? Because they went in on women on this one, man. I mean, they just literally. One of the, this is one of the more degrading songs against women that you'll probably ever hear. <laughs> now this, yeah. this is the one you put on, put on when you got that your girl there, and it's that one girlfriend. That we came together, we leaving together. Mm. Yeah, you put this song on, and she'd be like, I, "Well, if you gonna stay with your man, I can't listen to this." And she leaves. This is to get rid of the side chick though. There, that's what that one is right here. Mm. That's what that song is. You got a group of people you don't want around you. Put this song. On. But you know, but you know, this song is developing a trap queen right here. That's what this song. I mean, this 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 song. I mean. Because Willie D says, I'm a motherfucker. I put a bitch through a test. If she don't pass, she don't get blessed. If the test consists of fucking my whole crew, well, bitch, goddamn, that's what you gotta do. And so, I mean, like you said, it's, a, it's definitely not something for the faint of heart. But I do recall that I was back in the day yelling this out the freaking window. You know what I mean? When it turned up past 10. You know, because again, that's, you know, not saying it was right, but that's how I thought. And I can't sit here and turn away from that and say now, because I think of the song, the way I look at the song now is how you looked at it then and how you look at it now, the same way how Scott looks at it now. I think it's a very degrading song to women. Yeah. You know, however, was I kicking it back in the day? Yes, I was. Again, this is part of the entertainment side of hip hop. I'm not going to, you know, put no female through something like that in order to be with me. That's stupid. And I'm not going to be with some female who allows someone to put them through something like that in order to be with them. Wasn't that the uh, movie with Tisha Campbell, uh, Spike Lee did, um, the school, school days. School school days. You know, at the end, he was like, yeah, at the end, he's, he tell Tisha Campbell, if, you know, if you want to be G5, you got to do that over there. And she goes and does it, and, you know, he kicks her to the curb. You know, that's, that's who would want a woman that would do some of the things that they talk about in this track. Again, this is what, when I was, when I first started listening to hip-hop, my mother framed my mind with helping me understand it's entertainment. This is not real life. No. And if you try to apply it to real life, you're not going to have a real life. Shots you're not 
bragging and bragging about the money you got. See, you're the type of nigga that's playful. Next track, talking loud ain't saying nothing. Now, this particular track here was actually funny to me. I remember listening to it as a kid. I mean, they're going after three distinct groups of people. They're going after the parents and the censors of music, calling them hypocrites, right? They're saying, look, you know, you're telling, you know, you're you're basically complaining that the ghetto boys are too, are too gangster, they're too raw, that their their lyrics are too, you know, are too harsh. But at the same time, you're glorifying action movie actors like Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. They go up there, they're cussing, they're killing, and all that. But nobody's saying nothing about that. But you coming at us talking about, you know what I'm saying, we can't talk about our reality on these on these records. You're trying to ban us, you're trying to censor us. So Bush was going in on them. And then you got Willie. This is my favorite verse, man. You're talking about Willie. He's going up against all these quote unquote, you know, wannabe thugs. People, you know what I'm saying, them dudes that you see trying to be hard, talking about, you know, all the different things that they're into. Willie's calling them out. They sweeter than sugar. <laughs> uh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. And then lastly, you got Willie again. He he's not done. He's talking about, you know, those women. They're all about that money. You know what I'm saying? They're all about, you know, taking you for everything that you got. You know what I mean? So this song right here, they going in on some people, man. They have some things to say about those three distinct groups of people. Yeah, man. And just like you said, you know, when Willie D goes in on the, uh, you know, the, the industry clown, he also goes in on the stupid clown that is out there doing the stupid petty petty crimes. Right, right. You know what I mean? You're talking about you down for auto theft. Mm. Say you ran shit. <laughs> What you had to train, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So he's talking about what I'm, you know, what I tried to say, you know, a few times over the podcast is that that street life isn't the life because it's going to end up just like Willie D just said. You're going to be in the punk tank, mm-hmm. trying to do something, trying to be something that you're not. When you look at trying to, you know, live that thug street life for, you know, a long period of time and make it your lifestyle forever, this is what happens to you. It's just, I mean, it's just that simple. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the lyrics didn't sugarcoat it, and because we're talking about the lyrics, we can't sugarcoat it. Oh, no, most I'm not going to censor, yeah, I'm not, yeah. not going to censor someone's lyrics. Nah. You know what I mean? And then try to say that I'm, that I'm talking about it and giving it, you know what I mean? It's, it's just due. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I just think this, instead of people looking at hip-hop, and I can't keep saying it enough, as a tool of destruction while you look at this and you hear this on the surface you're hearing one thing but once you get behind the lyrics and you understand it even back when this album dropped i understood this which is why i was in the marine corps and not on the block hustling you know what i mean everybody has that choice everyone has those family members who or excuse me i'm not gonna say everyone because you're automatically incorrect when you do that but I'll say that there was there was that opportunity for me, and I looked at it and said, that's not the way I want to go. And not because I was the smartest person in the world, but the ones who had gone that way before me told me that this is the stupidest thing in the world to do. I made the biggest mistakes of my life. So stay out of so stay out of that lane. But what do y'all have to say about what Bushwick said, though, in the first verse, though? You know what I mean? Like, talking about the censorship and the hypocrites. You know, talking about, you know, oh, we got to ban the ghetto boys. We got to ban them. You know what I'm saying? They're a bad influence. Well, I think it's the whole collective conversation of, again, what is it at this point? 1988. What is it? 10, 11 years old? Right. Now the industry and people, because what has happened, we have had crossover through Run DMC. Mm-hmm. 
Run DMC crossed over in 85, 84, 85. And when that happened, then that opened up, not that the, not that the artists after them had to cross over, but because Run DMC did cross over, now you had suburban America looking at hip hop. So what you what you have now is you have a collective of people who just like the music irrespective of their culture and their background. So now you got, you know, Senator Joe Johnson, unless you're making up that name, who, you know what I mean, or, you know, high school principal, you know, whoever, and he's walking past his son's room or his daughter's room. Good Lord. Can you imagine him walking past his daughter's room and there's gangster love playing? Oh. <laughs> and it's 1988 and she's a <laughs> sophomore in high school. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and she knows the words yeah. well. You understand what I'm saying? You're getting a little pissed off. So this is this is this is this is what happened. You know what I mean? So now hip hop's a problem. Just like with the drug game. Once crack reached suburbia. Now crack's a problem. When it was just in the hood, just like main man said in The Godfather, you know what I mean? They're, they're animals anyway, let them lose their souls. You know what I mean? So, you know, but once it reached suburbia, now it's a problem. Hence, this is where that whole censorship is coming in. And this is where that double standard, because it's acceptable to see it in that format but when I talk about it, and I'm talking about it as to what's going on in my hood, and how you guys, and how you know everything is happening around here, and I'm bringing light to these social injustice. I may not say it splitting the right verb, using the right double on, you know, whatever, but I can. I but now you're hearing me, right? And I'm getting, I'm getting attention. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness! Here I go again, another brawl, a conflict. Somebody finna get the ass kicked. If you ain't down with the ghetto boys, get your happy ass out of Dodge. Alright, so this is track four. Read these Nikes. Now, this is nothing but Willie D song right here. He's just he's just whooping ass on this song. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I mean, if the, the I mean the song is a little comical. You know what I'm saying? Because oh, yeah. because the various ways that they tell you to read these Nikes crack me up. You know what I mean? From from the open. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's like even from the title of the track. I mean, read these Nikes. There's no question. You know, as far as what he's talking about. I mean, my father used to say that to me. <laughs> and remember that old remember that scene from um, what was that movie? The Last Dragon. So enough, he said, kiss these converse. It's the same thing. No, 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 no doubt. No doubt. It's just another term for, uh, we're, you know, we're just going to stomp you out. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is, this is all Willie D right here. I mean. It's all Willie. Yeah. It's all Willie. Yeah. I mean, Scarface is not even on this track. Bushwick got a quick little blurb in it, but this is all Willie. I mean, really, really nothing much, you know, we can get into is, is as far as content of this song. He's just whooping ass. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is just one of those, like, let's just have a, you know, I, I think it's a fun track. I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for it. I'm not looking at it for lyrical content. I'm laughing the whole way through it. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, even, even how he even describes like a, like something that got him uh, locked up. Yeah. You know what I mean? He even refers to the chick as a yellow hammer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm at the club rapping to this yellow hammer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's. 
while it's entertaining, but we do know cats do get served up at the club for uh, you know get, getting out of pocket. Right, right. So this is so that's basically all he's talking about. Somebody got out of pocket. Right. Didn't understand, you know, that movie The Mac. You know what I mean? Your chick chose me. You know the game. Now we can handle this like some players, or we can get into some real gangster shit. He made it sound good over beat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna be quoting too many lyrics on this one, but uh, what's up, Dad? You gonna sit up here and get that angry? You gonna smack everybody at the club? One of the persons you gonna smack is gonna be that dude talking about I'm Tyrone, and I'm here to, you know, <laughs> you gonna you gonna find him with that other dude talking about I got a bald head, <laughs> and you gonna smack the wrong one, and it's gonna be a problem. Yeah. You know, you sit up here saying, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing it. Like, all right, yeah, you doing all this and that, and you being tough. And as far as people getting out of pocket at the club, John, I love to see that. I like people to get out of the pocket with me at the club because I'm going to tell you right now, I do not fight. I take people straight to court. Oh, my God. You want to sit up there, you hit me. I'm taking a dive. And I'm going to make sure somebody's recording it. I get every camera in the place that somebody recorded it. And I'm taking you straight to court. They can sit up there and say, he ain't got no money. He got Nikes. He got something. That watch on his wrist. Somebody somebody going to give us something. His baby's mama, his baby mama going to babysit my kids too. <laughs> somebody going to be doing something. His mother going to be curling my, my knuckle hair. Somebody going to be doing something. Listen, listen, listen. Now, I understand what you're saying, Dad. But that's the debt of today. The debt back in 1988 was not talking about taking a dive. I really seriously doubt that. Yeah. Nah, I was on. I was on the wall with a girl. I was the dude. I understand that. But if somebody got out of pocket with you, if somebody got out of pocket with you in 1988, you're taking a dive in 1988. I don't think so. You got to remember, at these parties back then, the toughest thing that was going on was people fighting with their hands. But listen, listen, let's just be honest here. We're talking 1988, and we're talking aggravated assault, and we're talking a fight at the club. That's what we're talking about. So here's what I know. Here's here's, here's what I know. In 1988, I was suspect to check a cat in the club for getting out of pocket with, because just for everything that you just described, because it was just, because it was just with the hands. And and that's all he's talking about here. I mean, he I mean he's talking about he pistol whipped the dude, you know what I mean? But at the same time, everybody lived to see another day. He spent a little time in jail for you know for his actions, and I'm sure he learned from that. You can't just go around pistol whipping cats. Mm-hmm. So that so to every story, there's a there's a lesson, and it's up to you to how you view that lesson and take it into your life. Because he didn't shy away from the fact that you know he that he didn't go to jail. He said, "I went to the cell." But the as first soon as it started, that. as soon as the fight started, as soon as somebody got out of pocket, he was the first one to swing and react. Now today, I'm not even nowhere near this situation. Nah, um, I'm nowhere near this situation today in my life. But in '98. Man, I was so close to this situation. I thought he was talking about me. You understand what I'm saying? I, 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 I thought he had a camera behind me one night when I was at a club in Seattle, Washington called the Oz. It was an under-21 club. Shout out to the 206. And this was 1988, and that joint used to rock to like 3, 4 in the morning. And I was in the core, and we darn sure got into some fights in that joint. And let me tell you, it was, it was not pretty for some people. 
But at the same time, that's all we're talking about is some lyric from 1988. Only at one point in my life do I feel like that now. And that is when I'm in the mall around the holidays or I'm in a grocery store and somebody stopped with their cart in the middle of the aisle and these, these people act like the grocery store is all theirs. I said I should write a book on grocery store etiquette. Pull your cart over to the side. Don't <laughs> be blocking the aisle for everybody else. And don't get pissed at me if I'm going to reach down on the bottom shelf trying to get something and I'm reaching over your cart that you blocking everybody's view of what we're trying to get to. That's the only time I feel like punching an old woman in her throat. Right in, right in her Adam's apple. Even I know she ain't got one, but I, right there. <laughs> You're the angriest comedian I ever met in my life, man. <laughs> That's why I'm, I, my stage name used to be Hostile. It's just, I, listen, I can say the stuff you couldn't say. Yo, Bushwick, what do you do when motherfuckers underestimate your size, man? First of all, I laugh. Then what? Smash their ass like a goddamn car crash. So if you want to try your luck, Next track, size eight shit. All right, so let me say this first of all. All right, I think when I went back in and I listened to this album in preparation for this episode, I think I laughed just as hard when I heard this record as I did the first time I heard it back when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Bushwick was such a novelty, still is, right? Such a novelty back then. But he was so damn descriptive with his lyrics. I mean, this. I'm not going to do a lot of quoting on this album. I mean, that'll that'll get our explicit rating revoked. <laughs> but he said, and while you're getting on your knees to fuck, me, I'm still standing up. I mean, the visuals on that. For real, the visuals. You know what I'm saying? When I first found out that he was a dancer and then became the rapper, I was like, this little dude was a dancer? I mean, what type of, you know what I mean? Not to discredit Bush with Bill and his ability to get down. But I ain't never seen the dude dance, and because of his height, I don't know if that's, I don't know what that's looking like. Well, what kind of dancing was he? You know doing? what I mean? I, I've seen a, that's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? I mean, was was he was he break dancing? I I mean, I've seen a lot of break dancing, and some of the best break dancers I've seen have been long lanky cats. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just you know talking about what we're talking about. You know, and this whole thing, this whole so you figure out the last two tracks. I've been nothing but what? Somebody getting stomped out. Yeah. Willie D went on his, and now Bush McBill is going on his about stomping somebody out. Mm-hmm. And that brings up what Bet talked about with respect to a fight's a fight. Walk away, everybody lives. Cuts and bruises, you know what I'm saying? But it's a fight. Mm-hmm. But these young cats are doing, you know, this whole thing and Chirac and everything that's going on. With all this shooting and killing of our own, yeah, is ridiculous. It's not over, right? Over disagreements, right? You know, people are going, like, you know what I mean? And, and you know, so you know, put all that gun and all that crap down, man. And be a real man because you'll learn something about yourself through that victory or through that loss. Believe that. Yeah, I agree, man. You want to pull a gun on somebody? Pull a gun on somebody for a reason. Like that Dallas Cowboy Giants game. Pull a gun on somebody because Dallas lost. You do that. You don't go out there and pull a gun on somebody because they just stepped on your sneakers. <laughs> you don't do that. Listen, the views expressed by Detron, his family, and or friends of people he had lost the bet to are not the views of the Light Podcast. <laughs> well, let me express this view then. For you putting that, that image in my head, Scott. <laughs> Ew. Ew. 
I had to share that, man, because that's been in my head too, man. I'm trying to figure man, out. I'm, well, why would you even? Th Come on, man. You put that image in your head about a little dude doing nasty stuff. Come on, man. Hey, that's why we was laughing as a kid. And, you know, Yo, as kids, I, we heard this track. Right. I was dying laughing, man. I always thought that that little people. I don't want. I don't know. What are they? Heightly challenged little people. Midges, what do you call them? Yeah, I don't know. The political term. Vertically challenged. The political term. Vertically yeah, vertically challenged. That is a political term. All right. Well, whatever you want to call them, okay those the, the short guys in life whatever i always thought they stunk because their butts were so big i was like they can't wipe all that like they gotta lay on the toilet when they take a dump because they they you know they ain't got no no room <laughs> for them like that so was, i was like yo yo hold on hold on Wait a minute! Wait, wait a minute! Wait a minute! This is not a roast to push McBill, yo, and, and those who are vertically challenged. What are you doing? As a kid growing up, I was like, I was scared of them. I was like, they're gonna wipe your hand on you. You're gonna stink forever. Don't, don't let them do it. Like, don't let them touch you. That's the way I felt, man. I'm sorry. Scott, I, yeah, Scott, I think it's time for you to say what you always say after one of these rants. <laughs> My dad, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> There's no way in hell I'm putting that in the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you gotta put that in. Hell no. Listen, man. Listen. <laughs> you, they didn't have regular toilet paper. You just insulted. You just insulted a whole population <laughs> of people, including one of the members of the Ghetto Boys. There's no Even way in hell. There's no way Scarface will no. laugh when he hears this by himself, but in front of Bushwick, he'll be pissed off. Like, yeah, I can't believe he said your ass stinks. I mean, damn. Come on, man. Nah. It's this the truth. I'm, just, I'm saying how ignorant I was as a kid. That's what I, I'm putting out. The disclaimer is I'm putting it out there. That's how ignorant I was as a kid and didn't know. And then later on in life, growing up, and you hear songs like this, and you see people like Bushwick Bill, that I actually realized, like, yo, there's nothing wrong with these people. Like, you know, we, we all have ignorance as a, as, you know, as a teen or as a young child or whatever. You have ignorant things that you thought about. And you grow out of it when you get older. And that's what I had to get over. But listening to Bushwick, man, good Lord. I, I've got over that quick because I was like, he curses like a sailor. Something wrong with him. So don't anybody think of me the wrong way. No. Nah. That was not meant that way. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you kept it real. I mean, let's let's just be honest. I mean, you said what other people were thinking, you know what I'm saying, just, you know, not courageous or bold enough to say it. I mean, that's what this show is about. We're keeping it real. I mean, right. let's just say it do like it is. Own, hmm? Do they have their own brand of toilet paper? That, man, Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, that's a joke. That is a joke, but I don't yeah. care. Do they have their own brand of toilet paper? Because as big as their butts are, you, you got to have some stuff. <laughs> you gotta have some sturdy toilet paper, man. See, you gotta do extra wiping. I was trying to clean this up and give you, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I said that last one was a joke. I don't uh, care. Uh, all right. Boy, I, I'm, I'm a comedian. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I'm a comedian, man. All right, all right. So the last thing I want to say about this track, though, man, is that, you know, based on what Jet was saying in his own comedic way, was that Bushwick basically owned, you know, his diminutive stature. You know what I mean? He was small, but he didn't give a fuck. You know, that was just who he was. Bushwick Bill was Bushwick Bill. You know what I mean? He didn't see himself as a small person. You know what I mean? So he never really made it about that, even though he used it 
as content, you know what I mean, for, for some of his tracks. But, I mean, that was part of the allure of the Ghetto Boys. It was just something that nobody ever, ever seen before. I mean, they came with that gangster shit, man, but they looked it. They looked apart. The So I can destroy the whack MCs who claim they're headed for stardom. They think that can't subtract the cup, but I can come back, wax and tax the pump. Brought back a track that was large, I kept these suckers on guard. DJ action is back, and DJ action is hard. Put rhymes together, I'm clever, tougher than leather. However, MCs are tribal with feathers, don't claim the battle, I'm better. MCs dug down by the dozen, said they were dope, but they wasn't. Now I'm telling you, cuz I get on my jock, cuz you buck. Got a rhyme, let's get to it, gave you the chance, and you blew it. You fell on geeking, I knew it. Action is back, so don't do it. See, I perfect the perfection. Give me some time, this a second, so I can rhyme myself. Next track, seek and destroy. Now. This, to me, is the point of the album where Scarface begins to take over. You know what I'm saying? He's not even Scarface yet, though. He's still DJ Action right here. But this is the point that the guy that we all know as Scarface begins to take over not only the album, but he begins to become the face of the Ghetto Boys. I mean, this track here, I mean, he just lost his mind with this one, and he killed it with with the with the, with the Big Daddy Kane flow. And if exactly. you listen to like some of his old interviews, Kane and Chuck D were his idols. You know what I mean? So, I gotta believe that this track here was a was a direct. You know, he was paying direct homage to Big Daddy Kane on this one. No doubt, man. And I just enjoy the fact that he did that. Right. Basically, because every everyone knew that the East Coast was where hip hop started, mm -hmm. and then it went out west, and then it went down south, and then it came back east, and it made that big connection. Then it finally branched down south, and then from after it branched down south, it just took off globally. So with with the Ghetto Boys, especially Scarface, giving so much homage back to the East Coast with respect to Chuck D, with respect to you know his other mentors. He's showing you that he understands, this is just 1988. So everything that was going on in New York to create that New York hip hop scene is going on down in Texas as well. And as we always talk about, it is a retrospective. So these things have already occurred. So the fact that he's already given, so that that you know that he was locked in to Chuck D and you know Public Enemy and his other mentors prior to them, them even releasing, because don't forget, Yo Bum Rush the Show just dropped in 87. Right, right. You follow what I'm saying? Right. He was plugged in early. This is when I became a fan of Scarface right here. I mean, he was kind of intermittent, you know, in the tracks before, but they gave him, you know what I'm saying, his own space right here, and he just killed it. He destroyed it, man. He he just kicked the door off the hinges, and he, and he never really put it back on. You know what I'm saying? How And how he goes through on verse 3, and he talks about lyrics begin to penetrate the spine. The wind that breaks the skin, you evaporate. He's telling you right now that he's coming through you just as silent as the wind and breaking you down to your very last molecule, and then poof, you are, you are gone. Right. He's explaining to you how deep his metaphors are about to become. I'll leave you guys with probably my favorite part of this whole song where he goes, because I'm the mastermind and not a toy, and my mission is to seek and destroy. I just love the way Scarface always referenced himself. He always looked at himself as a cutting above, above everybody else. Somebody that was too uh, mentally complex for you to understand or contain. You know what I mean? He always looked at himself like that. And I think I think the great MCs always do that. Like, they're just so ultra, you know, uber confident. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, they, they right. refer to themselves as being, you know, just untouchable. And they believe it. And, and they're right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Scarface is only 19 years old when he recorded this album. 
Yeah. But his lyrics come across so much older than that, you know? Yeah, absolutely they do. He's, he's very complex. I mean, he's Scarface. He is. He he's, is. He's, he's definitely nobody you want to fuck with, man, you know? But um, me, and he proved it on this track right here. No sellout. Again, another one of my favorites, man. I mean, this right here for me, this is like the Awakening record, right? They paying homage to Public Enemy. You got the Martin Luther King Jr. samples. You got the Farrakhan samples. I mean, this is straight up Public Enemy right here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're, you know, comparing the movement to ban rap music, to ban hip hop with the fact that, you know, drugs, you know, crack, cocaine, heroin is still so prevalent in the community. But yet the focus is on hip hop music. And so they're basically, you know, basically, you know, mentioning and uttering their confusion about that. You know, I mean, public enemy scared the living shit out of the industry with their message. No doubt. You know what I mean? And the ghetto boys basically they're saying, here, we're not having it. You know what I mean? We're not having it. Well, again, just like we, you know, just like you've already established, Chuck is one of Scarface's mentors. He looks up to him. So, of course, his music is going to emulate Chuck D to, or in, in Public Enemy to a certain extent. And here's just another example of it. Right. Like you said, from the interludes, from, you know, Malcolm, from the interludes, from Martin. That's classic. Right. You know what I mean? And it starts in with the black man. Stand up. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? One of the things about some lyricists, and Shakespeare's there, so... <laughs> One of the things about some lyricists versus other lyricists is some lyricists you have, they just lay your game down real flat. There is, you don't have a lot of room for interpretation. They don't use a lot of metaphors. And Willie D laid it out real flat when he came in with this right here. Because he just basically said that Public Enemy was this by the industry. Because the people they trusted sold out the opposition and, and uh, superstition. You know what I mean? So he's, so he's telling you from the very beginning that we see what you're doing. The in, by who? The industry. So we see what you're doing, industry, because Public Enemy has awakened these young people in a different way. So now you're trying to silence them. You know what I mean? Right under that nose, it has to be an inside job. And who is that clown from Washington? That's the son of a bitch who's triple crossed them. I ain't talking about that provident brother. That particular chump was an R. Keller. Got a, got a scoop on the group and he ran. Lock him up for impersonating a black man. You know, that's, again, as we already said, classic public enemy, classic Chuck D, but it's real flat. You don't need, that's very Googleable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. very, that's easily found out. Right. That's on somebody's Facebook wall. You know what I mean? That's right out front. Right, they got real political on this one, man. I mean, this is deep. I think this was well over the heads of most people back then. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, when you go back and you start digging into these lyrics, you know, you get the same reaction that you do when you went back and you listen to Public Enemy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these 
these brothers were intelligent, man. You know what I'm saying? These brothers, they knew what they were talking about. They knew, you know what I'm saying? They knew what they what they were trying to get across from, from, a, from, a, from a knowledge and from a message standpoint. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, the Ghetto Boys definitely came with it on this track, man. You know, Scarface had that Ice Cube flow on this one. I don't care what you say. This one was kind of hot to me. Yeah. I did like it. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I'm a, it's not a lot of this stuff that I like, mm -hmm. but... I was trying to determine, like sitting here listening to what you guys were talking about, I was trying to determine whether it was actually the fact that they sounded so similar to people I like, mm -hmm. or whether it was their style themselves that made me kind of, you know, kind of feel what they were saying. Mm -hmm. And I think I think it's not just just one one versus the other. I think it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. It was combined to say, yo, they sound like Ice Cube, they sound like Chuck D on this, they sound like that. But you know what? Their lyrics are original. I think up until maybe about this track or the next one, you know, you could definitely hear the influence in Scarface's delivery. You know, I keep on saying Scarface because he's one of my all-time favorite rappers. I know I realize Willie D and Bushwick is on here as well, but I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, Scarface was the more uh, lyrically profound, but I mean. He was kind of borrowing from other rappers, I guess people that he looked up to, and Chuck, Big Daddy Kane, Ice Cube. He didn't really come out and develop his own unique style of delivery until later on in the album, and we'll hit on that track in just a little bit. But um, you know, you could definitely see the influence that, you know what I'm saying? I definitely agree with you 100% on that. This is back when an MC wrote all his or her own rhymes. Mm -hmm. Versus now, again, you have more industry involvements. So you have staff writers. It's all, everyone is all put together now. Everyone is manufactured. Back in 88, when these cats were putting it down, everybody had to stand on their own one and two. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, don't let that get lost on, you know, don't you listeners let that get lost on you. You look at the album art, you check out the writing credits and things of that nature, you're going to see these same artists versus now and you can look at the jackets that's why you know i think that's one of the big disadvantages to just downloading music all the time is because you don't see who's involved in the music all you're seeing and all or all you're responding to as a consumer is the end product so therefore all you're concerned about is the end product and Bravo. that's where the Bravo. culture is is getting lost the longevity in rap is not there unless you are not a gimmick. You are not just a hook rapper. You are somebody with real official skill. You, you, if you're not a Jada Kiss, if you're not a LL Cool J, if you're not, you know, some of these these other names out there that have lasted long to Jay Z, lasted a long time in the industry, you fall off to the wayside. You're not the hottest thing out. So you got to make your money while you can in the industry now. And that's why a lot of them sit up here and say, yo, let me see if I can get a ghostwriter because I got to get out here on the road. I got to do this and that. And a lot of them don't sit down and work on their art. Nope. They don't work on their crap. Nope. They get out there, they get that tour money, and they get back in the studio and somebody tell them, yo, this right here sounds hot if you say that on that song. All right, I'm going to use that. And they move on with that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, respect their grind, respect their gangster, respect this and that. Nah. I respect the longevity. That's what I respect. When you're a hip-hop fan today, and if you gotten into hip-hop since, I'll say, 98, 99, especially if you've only gotten into hip-hop in 2004, just the last, you know, 10, 11 years, you really haven't seen 
a real total end-to-end spectrum of what hip-hop really is. I really implore you to go back to 1988, 1987. That's just two years. And look at the artists who released in those two years and listen to their debut tracks. If you're a hip-hop fan from 2004 on, that's your homework assignment. Because that's hip-hop. And if you want to understand how to keep this thing sustainable, you got to understand where it came from and how it developed and those artists who put it down, as we're talking about here with the Ghetto Boys. And through that, edu- you know, that consumer, you're the consumer, you're going to become more educated, so you're going to demand the industry provide you with better goods so we can get back to having real hip-hop. Because there's a lot of things that could be discussed in hip-hop that are not being addressed in hip-hop that can really only be addressed in hip-hop, but hip-hop must stand up to address them. Like we talked about with the South Carolina incident. That's social, that's hip-hop. That's our music, that's how we move. So we, so we gotta demand hip-hop stand up and talk about that. Hip-hop's been the number one music for the last 30 years. We still love R&B, we still love the blues, we still love rock and roll. Still love classical music. But hip-hop's been the standard the last 30 years, like it or not. Yo, D, man, what's up with that cash register shit? Oh, that's what the average hoe see every time she look at a modern-day man. Ain't that the motherfucking truth? Yeah. And these old fickle-minded ass niggas wonder why I hope you them one day and another goofy motherfucker the next. I think it's time you kick some more of that shit, dude. Yeah. It seems to be a lot of motherfuckers blind to the fact that a hoe is gonna be just Next track, this gonna be a short one for me. Let a hoe be a hoe. I got one thing to say about this one. Like John L. always say, well, <laughs> that's it. Hey, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, again, with my 1988 mind, I looked at it from the perspective of, you know, get in, get out, move, keep it, you know, Papa was a Rolling Stone type, type deal, keep it moving. But now looking at it like, that ain't even a woman I want to be around. I mean, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. This is this is you know, this is the ghetto boys telling you, and in a way that only they can. <laughs> wait a wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh oh. They owe me money. <laughs> is that sugar These boys, yeah, this is sugar foot. These boys are a fish. Ain't nothing pimping. I'm laying them down and letting them live. But uh, That's you know. Good to hear that. Yeah, but they, you know, these boys done took a page out of my dictionary bottle. See, because you got, as a good pimp, you got to have a dictionary Bible, because inside our Bible is our language, and our language keeps taught to us and preach to everybody on the way down, to let you know what's up in the stars, the heavens, and the earth, and what's underneath, because I am God to them. You understand what I'm saying? So, these brothers then took a page out of my Bible, my dictionary Bible, and then put it on wax. So, I, I, I'm going to have to find somebody to, uh, you know, to get my money back to me. And I want, I want all, Ebon, Ebon Trey, I want all of my money. I want all of my money. Somebody going to listen. Talk, I, I got, I got some women that, listen, you don't want my women to show up. I got some that wear nothing but, but samurai swords in their girdle. They can mess around and have to, you going to make me check somebody. So Bushwick, uh, 
uh, Scarface and uh, Willie, Willie D, whatever your name is, boy. I don't care if y'all come with 12 boxes of gators. Somebody got to pay up and give me my money. Now, I, I'll what see y'all in What size gators? What size gators, Sugarfoot? Size four. Listen, don't let the small case fool you, buddy. I, you know, I may be small, but I'm big inside. Uh, let me tell y'all something. I'm going to go ahead and get on out. I just had to be walking by the window, and the boy told me to get on there because he was talking about this one song. So I'm, I'm going to go and get out of here. And as always, in part, in Chinese, Zachin. <laughs> yeah. That dude, man. Sugarfoot's my dude, man. Yeah. Sugarfoot's my dude, man. They just, they just, That's a cool cat. They just popping in midstream now. They don't even care anymore. Uh, he said he was walking by my window. I, I don't even live on the street where you could have a sidewalk next to my house. <laughs> He's walking by my window. Like, he just came out of the woods and just had me walking by my window. Hey, man, what's happening? He just knocking on my window. Like, hey, what's happening there, man? Yeah, type of dude that you come in your bedroom, he got the curtain back with a flashlight. Like, oh, I, I didn't know you was home. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hey, look at you like, that's a nice brand new TV, but how much do it weigh? <laughs> you like, what? <laughs> hey, Sugarfoot got that hustle, man. That's why I call it Sugarfoot, baby. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you know, what killed me, though, dude said a size four. <laughs> right, I don't understand what he's doing with them gators, but whatever he's doing, they're going on somebody with a size four foot. Yeah, I hope it's not him. <laughs> No, it was him he was talking about. He said he got size for a shoe. But this this track here, man, there's nothing really I could say much about this track. This is another offensive track that I'm pretty sure we are gonna lose all our uh, all our church backing behind. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this right here. I mean this definitely contributed to the backlash that the Ghetto Boys was getting from the industry. You know, back then, you know what I mean? So, you know, hence the anger that they had and, and using, you know, public enemy as an example of, you know, their particular approach and type of music being oppressed. But I mean, hey, you can't say it wasn't well earned, you know what I'm saying? This, this is with this is the track where Scarface officially took over the album. I mean, he's no longer DJ Action. He's Scarface now. You know, what I mean, he became the face of the Ghetto Boys on this track right here, and he really never let it go. You know, what I mean, up until this point, he was DJ Action. So this is the official introduction to Scarface. DJ Action's laid to rest. I mean, he wasn't playing around, and he wanted you to know it. He's shining right here, and he made it his album. He, he gave you he gave you some of his history on here, like you know about the selling selling rocks in the hood, cocaine, right. you know stuff he had to do. Mm-hmm. He let you know already. Listen, you couldn't school me to the streets because I lived that game already. So now he's flipping and starting to flow on tracks. So that game he had, he left behind, but he's still gonna keep 
his hustle ways when it comes to the music. This right here solidified him as being the front runner of the group. Oh, and just yeah. put him right out there in the open. Heck yeah. And then you heard, I mean, you heard the respect and the homage he was giving the NWA. I mean, he had Rain and Ice Cube on the hooks. Much respect to Scarface for this track. You couldn't do nothing but respect a group to call themselves niggas with attitude mm -hmm. they let you know from the door we are angry but don't don't come in here with that crap and then to get arrested for singing your song on a on a stage and they tell you don't say that song because if you do it we're arresting you they went to jail for a song and how many country western singers went to jail for that song or how many uh you know did, did fred astaire ever go to jail for dancing or, or for his song no Nah, so I mean, you have nothing but to respect them for what they did. Just like as we take it back to Beach Street, those you gotta respect those dancers that sat up there and went to jail or got beat up by the cops just for dancing, not fighting, dancing. Well, I, I just think you know people. I mean, in general, right? People are scared of what they don't understand, right? And so they react accordingly. I mean, here we are talking about the music industry. This is a multi-billion-dollar industry that is carefully cultivated. Every move is, you know, is is made with precision and strategy. And then you got a group like the Ghetto Boys that basically turns it upside down on its face. It didn't know what to do. It didn't know what to make these guys. You know what I'm saying? Just like, you know, the same reaction to NWA. I mean, you look at how the Ghetto Boys delivered this album. They basically the NWA of the South. You know what I mean? No doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's so, it's so poignant that you said they're the NWA of the South because this whole track is all about the dope game. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about them being more stick-up boys than them being more drug dealers. Uh -huh. they're, they're stick up boys who rob drug dealers who sell drugs or not drug dealers. Mm -hmm. If you're because there is a difference. The track is not overly complex. It's talking about the dope game mm -hmm. from from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. But like you said, this is this is definitely the introduction of Scarface and how he's gonna, you know, come off later on in later LPs that, you know, one of these times we're just gonna do a whole episode on just him. Because he definitely after he went solo from the uh, ghetto boys he really solidified his spot in the uh, hip-hop game oh no question no question Watching the gods talk 
Next track, uh, Life in the Fast Lane. Again, Scarface continuing his takeover of the album. He's uh, strengthening his new persona that he created on the last track, and he continues basically to define his unique delivery. So he's kind of stepping away from the Big Daddy Kane influence. He's stepping away from the Ice Cube influence. And now it's all about Scarface. You know what I mean? He's, he's crafted his own unique delivery, and he's stepping out on his own. Still kind of reminiscent of Kane and Q, but you can tell... You know, from the earlier tracks on the album until now, I mean, the whole second half of this album is Scarface, man. I mean, he's he's developing his own identity here. Real, real talk, real talk. And you hear, like, you know, a lot of talk about what genre the Ghetto Boys belong to. Are they gangster rap? Are they political rap? You know, and then you hear about the horror core, right? The horror core genre. And I think they started right. they started stepping into that a little bit with this track here and more so on the next and the last tracks, right? So it's kind of like the Ozzy Osbourne of rap, if you, or excuse me, yeah, the Ozzy Osbourne of rap. You know what I mean? Just like Ozzy Osbourne biting, you know, bats off to the head, you know, the heads of bats off, you know what I'm saying, back in the day. And that whole, you know, that that was that was that rock horror. And that's what that's what that side of hip hop is. It's just that ultimate, that thrill seeking killing. You know what I mean? That you know, we're we're looking to kill out of the thrill of it. It has nothing to do with business, it has nothing to do with anything personal. It's just, you know, I just want to kill somebody. And when you look at it, while on the surface you can see, and this is back in 1988, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, they were being looked upon and, and people were saying, you know, this is you know, censorship and rap. Right. Because it was just gone in the natural progression of music. Because after this, what occurred in rap, we had, you know, peace, love, happiness. It was just the natural evolution of music. So it wasn't anything that was different to any regard with how just music matriculates itself. But yet, because it had a black face on it, it was looked upon even worse. And at the same time, you had the crack epidemic. At the same time, you had AIDS, at, or excuse me, uh, yeah, you had AIDS, the AIDS epidemic. Epidemic. Same time you had Reagan. At the there was there were so many different things going on that everybody wanted to point the finger in one direction to say that's where the problem is. I agree 100. I mean, I like to do something a little different and kind of bundle the next few tracks together, including the last track into what you just said, John. You know what I mean? I mean um, their foray into the horrorcore genre, which you know my interpretation, my understanding of horrorcore is that, you know, it's it's gangster rap, but to the next level. They just took it to the next level. And I think these next three tracks, specifically Life in the Fast Lane, Trigger Happy Nigga, and uh, Mind of a Lunatic, straight up hardcore, man. I mean, not hardcore, horrorcore, right? And probably, but most definitely was the reason that Geffen and Sony ceased distributing the Ghetto Boys, you know, content. And I think that was a blessing in disguise, right? Because what happened next, Rick Rubin came in and picked them up, scooped them up, brought them up on the uh, Deaf American and remixed all of their songs. And then you had the next classic album that came out, which was the Ghetto Boys, Five Mics by The Source. 
and like you said, these next couple tracks, they go deep into that. And the one that goes the deepest, in my opinion, is Mind of a Lunatic. Yeah, man. That was because, listen, I listened to that track even back in 88, and I was still like, I really don't know anybody who fits these descriptions. <laughs> I mean, and I knew some pretty interesting in, in individuals, to say the least. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you look at Bushwick Bill, how he opens up verse 2, He's talking about, you know, harming, harming a woman in the worst possible way. I've never met anybody in my life, and I never ran in a circle of anybody in my life who thought something like that would be appropriate, or, you know, in yeah. any shape or regard. This is also, like I had mentioned earlier on when I first started listening to hip-hop, my mom helped me understand that this is strictly an entertainment situation right here. None of this stuff is real. You know what I'm saying? But when you have some people who don't have those positive influences in their life, and they're not given that delineation for the music and, under, and given an understanding that it is just entertainment, then they can take something like this and, you know what I mean, and twist it to their own regard. You know what I'm saying? The same thing happened to uh, Eminem. Yep. You're right. When he sat up there and he put out his album about uh, you know, about what he wanted to do yes. to his mom or or, you know, how his uncle, you know, coming out of his closet and stuff like that. That right there made people like, Whoa, what's going on? And then that's when he came out uh later on with that song Stan about what he, one of his overzealous fans that thought that it was really real when he was talking about kidnapping his, his girl and you know killing his mom killing these people doing this and that this fan really thought it was real like yeah I feel the same way you do so people don't know how to separate you know the fake from the real and that's and that's I'm gonna tell you uh, the best way that I can express it is that some of these rappers are great actors they are the greatest actors out there because they're portraying a lifestyle that they never really lived or a lifestyle that they wish they could live and people are buying into it and believing it. you're not that hard dude you know cut it out stop living that lifestyle because you're doing nothing before and the people that are buying your albums, and then when you, you, you portray yourself as a hard dude or a drug dealer or a kingpin, and they find out you really Rick Ross, then, you know, the backlash is gonna be serious. You know, they need to be more responsible of how they project some of this stuff. That's all I can say. Well, I mean, I think the fact that, you know, at its core, right, we talked about it on the last episode, I mean, hip hop is anti-establishment. So the industry isn't feeling us anyway. You know what I mean? So they don't like, you know, they don't like, you know, what hip hop stands for anyway. So then you throw on top of that, what, what Ghetto Boys is talking about, all you're doing is giving them ammo. You know what I mean? See? See? You see what they're saying? I mean, just look at the lyrics for Mind of a Lunatic. I mean. But it it tells you. What is the name of the song? Mind of, mind a, of a Lunatic. Yeah. It's not telling you I got nothing nice to say. It's telling you, listen, this is out of the mind of a lunatic. Right. How many stories have they told us on TV about lunatics? Oh yeah, I Just agree. Next year they're coming no out with uh, next year they're coming out with uh, what? Uh, Freddie? Uh, no, not Freddie. Uh, Michael meets Jason. Mm-hmm. So Michael Myers finally meets Jason. These are murderers, serial killer murderers right. that have been going on since the seventies. I don't see anybody going out there putting masks on, trying to kill themselves like that. They're projecting that to us, but when we project it and tell you this is a story we're putting on on music. Oh, we're wrong. But you could put it on film and say, hey, it's okay to put murderers and and killers out there. And then the graphicness of those murders 
are far worse than what you hear on this in this album. Great point, man. That's what they talked about on this album too. Uh, they talked about that same thing. I mean, you can censor us, you can try to ban us, but you're still watching Schwarzenegger movies. You're still watching, you know what I'm saying, all these horror films, like you just said that. So what's the difference? And that's the I point. Don't know. There, there really isn't a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, other, other, than the, other than from whom it's coming from. Mm -hmm. So now if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. Because mm -hmm. I think that's what... I think they put these tracks on there purposefully in order to fly in the face of censorship. Oh, no question. No. Question. I don't think they put these on this. I don't think they dropped these on this freaking LP as, oh, we're going to increase the value of the LP by having these songs on there. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, there really isn't too much lyrical content to the last three songs. No, not at all. It's just straight wilding out. Mm -hmm. Big ass middle finger to the industry. You know what I mean? They look at us. We exactly. hit. So exactly. So they probably went ahead and just like you know they always say the, the best lie is ninety nine point nine percent true. Mm -hmm. So they probably went ahead and just like a lot of the greatest movies like Scarface, Godfather, those were those were actually you know what I mean to a certain extent that was you know seventy percent eighty percent true. Mm -hmm. And then they added a little yeast to make it entertainment. Right. And I think that's what they did right here. I'm quite certain. With Scarface lyrics, that may have been about, you know, how you get these refuted killers inside of prisons and they give prison testimonies and do interviews and things of that nature. And industry, you know, the entertainment industry borrows some of that because that prisoner is not allowed to profit off of his or her crime, but the industry is. The entertainment industry is that's a different conversation for another day. Right. And that's a big stone in my shoe, believe it or not. Mm. That um Yeah, but anyway, uh so but that's what happens here. You know, but I think they did it in a way, like you said, Scott, that's the big middle finger to the censorship system. Mm -hmm. Because prior to this, like I said, you had the Ozzy Osbournes and the different horror rock groups. I mean, they were literally biting the heads off of bats on stage. Mm -hmm. They were literally throwing sheep's blood on people in the audience. That's what they were literally doing at their shows. And that was in the 70s and 80s, just like that set. But when you have hip-hop talking about murder, death, and mayhem, now we got to censor it. And was it we got to censor it because they can't talk about it, or we got to censor it because they're making too much money on it? That is the real question. And that is the question that I've been asking and I still haven't gotten an answer to it yet. Didn't they just talk about that a couple tracks ago? It was that, in no sellout, it was that dude in Washington. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There you go, it all ties in. It all ties in. Yeah. I'm telling you I'm straight out the nickel. And we ain't got ass liquors, just ass kickers. I whoop a puck in a minute and hope to God that it's down get in it. The first time I see her jumping, I'ma drop kick the bitch like she stole something. The weak hoes might say I'm sick, but for real niggas know I tolerate no bullshit. You wanna know what makes me click? My psychiatrist said I got the mind of a lunatic. Unless your ass wanna be made history I blow your motherfucking 
house up. And if your wife and kids are inside, they fuck. I don't give a damn who I slay. Don't let me get a hold to some E&J. Cause when the shit hit the fan, I'll stab your ass and put the dinner Mexican. The nightmares I leave you with on the scene will make Freddy bitch ass look like a wet dream. This is fat, not fictional, son of a bitch. I got the mind of a lunatic. Now, before we go, the one thing I'd like to, uh, I couldn't make it to your party this past week, but I'm going to give my boy Keith Dorsey a shout out, a.k.a. Beef. You know, God bless you, brother. Many more to you. Now, after that, as we branch away from the happy parts in our lives, there may be some somber notes that we're both or our team is going to hit today because there are some things that have happened in the past that, uh, or the past week that we need to touch on. And I want to give a rest in peace to Sam Sapong Jr. A lot of you may not know the name, but you know what he's done. He was one of the hosts on Your Mama on MTV. He's had roles on My So-Called Life, Boston Public, Veronica Mars, Everybody Hates Chris, Cold Case, uh, 24. And in 2003 on uh, Love Don't Cost a Thing, he played Kadeem alongside uh, Nick Cannon and uh, Christina Million. What happened was Monday, this brother committed suicide by jumping off a bridge in L.A. And what we don't understand is that there may be extra things going on in people's lives. And as the, the song says it, you know, just because there's a smile on my face, it's only there to fool the public because it's the tears of a clown. People go through stuff in life and ask a friend now and then, even if you see him smiling, like everything good with you, everything all right? Because sometimes we don't know that they're smiling, but they could be hurting on the inside. And if any of you out there, and I say this, I said it to uh, some students when I used to be a teacher back in the days too. If any of you out there are experiencing any pain, any hurt, you can, Contact yourlifeyourvoice.org or you can call 1-800-448-3000. Again, that's yourlifeyourvoice.org or call 1-800-448-3000 and talk to somebody, get some help because help is out there for you. It just only takes you to reach out for it and also reach out to your friends and make sure they're all right. Y'all have a good one. Basically, you know, I, again, just, uh, I'm from Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. It's uh, zip code is 15108. Very proud of that. Also from the north side of Pittsburgh, 15212. Very proud of that as well. Uh, but one particular thing about Coriopolis, Pennsylvania, that's been very disturbing to me since I uh, grew up there, graduated high school in 87, left in uh, 95, and uh, go back home often, check out my Steelers, check out my peeps there, you know what I mean? Check out my crew is that the number of people who have been passing away from cancer. And with this being October, it's just Cancer Awareness Month and everything, and, and uh, unfortunately another young person, uh, his name is Denny Bourne, his uh, older brothers, uh, Ricky and Ronnie Bourne, uh, and, and their families, you know, I'm giving you a hug, guys. You know what I'm saying? Because I, you know, Denny was one of my friends as well. 
And uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there for his uh, home-going ceremony. But I know, you know, Ricky, Ronnie, I know you guys, you know, we, we think of each other just like brothers, man. And I know you know that I was there with, with you guys. I saw some very good pictures from the whole crew, Jamie, everybody, you know, Scott, everybody. You know what I mean? And, and it's very unfortunate uh, that this has to keep happening in such a small town. Coriopolis, Pennsylvania is not that big. Um, you know, I, I, I jokingly say it's three, three and a half miles long, about five miles wide. It's a little bigger than that, but not too much. I graduated from a high school in 1987 with literally 87 kids in my senior class. So again, it's not that big of a place. For the, department, for the number of people who have been passing away there as a result of cancer, and the cancers are similar, and it's in young people. I'm 47 years old, and a couple people just off the top of my head, along with Denny Bourne, is Sean, and you know, one of my best friends, his father passed away, James Lavoy Battles, another young lady that I knew there named Mickey Bryant, and they're all passing away from similar types of cancer. So I would think that at some point somebody wanted to look into, like, why are these people being taken off the earth for something that is clearly seen as a cancer cluster? And when these things are seen throughout the country and throughout the globe, I mean, somebody needs to speak up, and that's what hip-hop's about. Hip-hop's about talking about what's going on on the streets. Hip-hop's about talking about what's going on in our social circles. And I, and I know I keep saying hip-hop is about talking about, and I'm saying that on purpose. Because hip-hop is about talking about. It's about talking about what's going on in our communities. It is that street reporter. So you know, there's some local hip-hop artists out of, out of the op, as we like to call it. Maybe this should be a project. You're trying to blow? Maybe, maybe this will get you to that plateau. Because there's something real there, and somebody needs to really start talking about it on a real level. You know, and we talk about hip-hop here on this show. And as we have already seen, hip-hop infuses everything or has infused everything over the last 30 years. And as our, you know, as my favorite lyricist has so eloquently said, if hip-hop has the power to destroy, it has the power to uplift. So let's use hip-hop and let's look at, you know what I mean, what we can do and, and how we can, you know, finish you know, dismantling this killer known as cancer because it's happening to far too many people, especially young folks. Um, as we close out the month of October and uh, Cancer Awareness Month, I'd like to give a personal shout out to my mother who passed away from cancer back in 2000. She was a warrior, she was a fighter, she even outlived the doctor that diagnosed her. But more importantly, she gave me my passion for music. She gave me my passion for hard work. So. Um, I definitely like to give her a shout out this time, and um, I like to still think that she still looks down and is proud on the things that I've accomplished. And I definitely use um, her words of wisdom as you know what I live by on a day-to-day -day basis. So, much shout out to to Geneva Tucker. With that being said, it's another one in the books. We thank you all for listening. We thank you all for your likes. We thank you all for your shares and we thank you all for constantly downloading and making us one of the hottest shows coming up right now make sure you spread it to your friends family and other listeners even give it to your church pastor i don't care let them all listen all right <laughs> y'all take it easy be cool it's the light podcast out
Gangsta ass nigga never runs his fucking mouth Cause real gangsta ass niggas don't start fights And niggas always got a high cap Showing all his boys how we shot him But real gangsta ass niggas don't flex nuts Cause real gangsta ass niggas know they got him And everything's cool in the mind of a gangster Cause gangsta ass niggas think deep Up 365 at yo 24-7 Cause real gangsta ass niggas don't sleep And all I gotta say to you wanna be gonna be cocksucking pussy pranksters Is when the fire dies down what the fuck you going do? Damn it feels good to be a gangster <laughs> I sincerely like to thank you Cause now I got the world swinging from my nuts 